Welcome to the Whiskey Stories podcast with myself, Craig Cogar, and I am joined back in the Athletic Arms Diggers of Edinburgh. We've got Ross Barr. Ross, how are we doing? Magic. Happy to be here. Good stuff. We've got Angus, the whiskey fan. Angus. Hello, good evening. How are you? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined by the man with a fake name, uh, Simon Smith. Checking <laughs> <laughs> into hotels is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, welcome along to the Whiskey Stories podcast. Simon Smith, I should say, from Whiskey and Cynicism. Yeah, easy to say, hard to spell, if you're perfectly honest. Yeah, if you're going to start a business in the drinks industry, you always pick a name that no one can say after two drinks. It's, yeah, it's a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, welcome along. This is it. We're in. We're in. Back in the dugout. Um, back in the wee room. In the wee room. And if you're listening to this, yeah, you'll be celebrating Burns Night tonight because the podcast will be going up nice and early. Hopefully, if I get my editing done in time, Burns Night Angus. It's a special Absolutely. occasion in the, in the Angus the Whiskey Fan household. Absolutely, a very special occasion. I've been to a few Burns Nights in the past, the present, the future. Hopefully, so um, yeah, very much so. I think we spent Burns Night together last year. We did, eh? Uh, you came to Scotch for one of the, the events. Are you going we this did, year? We did, absolutely. In fact, yeah, we are. Yeah? We are going. So yes. as this is out, you guys will have, be having a wee McCallum piss up in the Balmoral Hotel. It's not right for some. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because when you when Cam messages and says, like, are you free on the... It's a Thursday this week. This yeah, is this Thursday, Thursday, yeah, this year. Fifth. And... Uh, it's not the Thursday that's the problem, it's the Friday. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to make sure yeah, you've, you've got off because, yeah, it's a, it's a bit heavy going. But look, when you've got an opportunity to t- sample some McAllen's and things like That'd that, be good fun. celebrating the Bard. Is Cameron Rosen? I believe so, well, yes, yes. yes and this would be the furthest I've ever been away from Ayrshire on a Burns night. Well, the thing is, mm. uh, Ross, you know, we're recording this really, really sad that this is the last episode you'll be on for a while because you're heading over to. To other shores. And this is it. Away over to Michigan, do some market research. Mm-hmm. Bring up the Traverse City Whiskey Co. Detroit City Distillery. Detroit, Detroit. Terrible, <laughs> terrible distilleries. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Not started those relationships yet, so let's just burn those bridges. Yeah, yeah. Going over to, to Michigan um, to organise wedding plans. I think mm-hmm. it will be minus 19 when wow. I arrive this Saturday. Well, the wedding bells uh, will be frozen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it'll be, it'll be an unusual burns night for me. I imagine there'll no be haggis on the menu. Uh, but well, I think it's illegal in America, is it not? Uh, <laughs> so it was for a long time, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Make our own if if our if our dad if our dad could get us the, the shot on if target, we could Me and Ian might listen to this together, and that face I'd probably run out the room just now. <laughs> um, but yeah, it should be quite good. Obviously, I'm I'm an airshipman. Yeah. So honest but, men and uh, bonnie lassies, eh? Well, that's not less about the honest men, but that's uh, a very specific yeah. <laughs> reference to any football fans that are listening. But it's one of those things that I remember from the age of four, having to recite Burns. Really? Ah, oh, miserable. It made yeah. you. It made me not like it. I uh, now like yeah. Burns Night. I get. I get it. It makes you feel patriotic. It's something about, especially being from that part of the world. When people say, but. I'm trying to get my American fiancé to understand my mum. I said, right. she's from Burns country, so it's a bit harder, and they had to explain Burns and Scots and all the rest of it. But oh, I hated it to a moose for four right. years, and I, I couldn't recite it now, but no. it was terrible. Whereas I like the idea of being able to address a haggis and do your events. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, have you ever hosted anything on a Burns night? Never, never done it. Always fancied it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But it's the it's the work that goes into trying to remember. I mean, the one, I've seen so many videos of... Um, what's it when the uh, 
the really, really long one when they... Uh, yeah, Tam O'Shea. Tam O'Shea, right. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, there's bits and bits of it. That's how you Scottish folk are really miserable, and I really give a rock long end. But it is, it is. But I've seen... I've actually seen a guy... There's, I think there was a video on YouTube I watched a few years ago of a boy reciting it hmm. to a bunch of tourists. Now, to be perfectly honest, he could have just been going... But he was doing it, and he was very animated, hmm. and they all had whiskies with them, and... He, he, the way he was saying it, it was it was quite impressive, yeah. and I've always thought, imagine having that up your sleeve yeah. to be able to just pull that out and go, right, well, and 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 also just die. The story that goes with it is great. Now, yeah. Simon, you're hosting. You, you're so from, I was going to say this. So three Scotsmen here. You will be drinking. I'll be drinking. But actually, Simon, you'll be working and hosting at Burns Night. Right. I've got I've got three different events this year, right? Yeah. So uh, on on the night itself, I've got a dinner at St Luke's in Glasgow, which will be for sixty odd folk. And yeah. this is for whiskey and cynicism. Yeah, absolutely. So I host it there. We have five five drams, some some good food, some live music, and a bit of a bit of the old spoken word as well. So it's a lot of fun. It's a great venue, the big church down in the uh, east end of Glasgow there. And so yeah, I'll be. So, so it'll that's, be awesome. one, that's one of many things that you do for whiskey and cynicism. Host events, host tastings. Is this whiskey related? <laughs> this is whiskey. Uh, whiskey yeah, so we five drams, five courses. So a bit of a pairing dinner and. Lovely. There's a bit of bones recited. It's a great night. There's lots of music, and we pitch it as kind of an event that Bones would have liked. Right, <laughs> if you know what I mean, because there's loads of women then. He, he's a mad shag. He loved carousing. He loved a dram. So while we right. obviously pay respect to him, and it's, there's a little bit of history and try and kind of trace his, because he travelled a lot through Scotland. That's one of the yeah. most amazing things about Burns is for the time how much of Scotland he covered was was amazing. So try and kind of touch on on where he travelled and where his love interests were as well through location of distilleries and stuff, and try and tie it all in. But right. pay a lot of respect to him because he was. He was a revolutionary. Oh, of course. He was yeah, an yeah. amazing man. So, um, And I've really got into it in more recent years when I've been asked to host events. You spend long enough on whiskey, people ask you. But yeah. having done some research, he really was, on a lot of fronts, quite an amazing man. He was. Did you start, sorry, Graham, did you start getting interested in events and stuff like Burns? And obviously it ties in with whiskey. But you've been in Scotland for about 15 years now and started mm. on the West Coast as well. So something, I don't know, did, was it celebrate? Did you do Burns Night in Australia? No, I mean, we were always aware of it. Aye. You know, I mean, that's that's an amazing thing about Burns is that he is so pervasive internationally. And, and I mean, a huge reason of that is because the Scots have travelled so much over the... Over the we inter- get around in, there. In, in the, you know, there's kind of a few hundred years between them, uh, him living in now. But also, I think it's just, he's so revered. You know, and, and there is obviously that thing of, like, you know, you, you got him at primary school or whatever, and you kind of get a bit sick of it, like everything. But there's still, you know, compared to, say, Shakespeare... Yeah. where a lot of people get that yeah. in much higher doses and, and people get sick of it people still come back to loving Ravi because he was yeah. such a you know, as a man he was so interesting um, to, on so many fronts of what he did and what he spoke about and how he kind of was such a, a change for the age and talks mm-hmm. of anti-slavery you know the rights of woman is an amazing poem as well and, and all this stuff and then there's the there is a time O'Shanter there's a fanciful element yeah. there's the other side so there's the entertainment I mean, he just was a bit of a, a an all round uh, a lyricist in, in ways which are really fantastic so I think even in Australia we knew who Burns was growing up yeah. didn't do him at school obviously because no. we did more local stuff or whatever but 
yeah, we were definitely aware of it. Well, you've addressed the elephant in the room. You are, you are Australian. I am, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. From, from my sins, yeah. So, and in which part of Australia was it you're from? So I, I, I kind of grew up mainly in a small town called Tambrain Mountain, which is uh, the south, southeast Queensland. Okay. So if you were standing um, on the beach at Surface Paradise with your back to the water, mm-hmm. you're looking about half an hour inland to, okay, to yeah. a, little, a small hillock where I grew up. So. Brilliant. And what what brought you over to Scotland then? What were you running away from? Well, I mean, that, that, that's... <laughs> well, you changed story. your name and yeah, went yeah, to the other side yeah, of the exactly. world. Exactly. <laughs> that's a longer story than I think we've got time for. But it is kind of whiskey-related. But, um, yeah. no, I did... I mean, I just kind of fancied a change. I'd done my three years at uni and kind of was looking to get out. And I had family in the UK um, down south of the wall. So went to them first and foremost and uh, stayed and, and overstayed my welcome. And then I played uh, I played some music with a lad from originally from Paisley uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in my hometown in the first pub I ever worked in. And he said, on my, on my going away card, he said, all the best. And there was a phone number scrolled in there for um, the owner of the George Hotel in Vareri. So after a few months in England um, doing nothing but annoy my brother and go to the pub, I rang that number and the response was, when can you start? So oh, yeah. by June that year, I was uh, having moved here in uh, early April. By early June, I was behind the bar in Inverary wondering quite what the fuck happened, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're all right. To be very honest, if you're in if you're in Inverary, Inverary lived the town. That's probably why. That's probably why a lot of people are asking. It's probably it's a lovely place to be for a couple of days. It's probably worth explaining Inverary and the Inverary Hotel to the listeners. I mean, this is like. There's a lot of we've got loads of listeners from that are not Scottish, and also there's a lot of Scottish people who haven't been that far west or that. Far uh, we've got a listener in Russia. Like, <laughs> right, the, the listener in Russia is probably more likely to have been <laughs> to Inverary than half the people. Who are. <laughs> yeah, that's so, true. Actually, the Inverary yeah. Hotel, obviously, we can touch on it means a lot to you now, but let's start there. So I mean, yeah. So the George Hotel is kind of, I mean, firstly, Inverary is about an hour and twenty minutes north of Glasgow, depending mm-hmm. on how you drive. Mm-hmm. And depending on the landslides. And depending on the landslides, aye. But so I, I, people have that in mind that it's you know, somewhere up, kind of off the coast of Skye or something, and it's it is relatively close to to civilization. Yeah. But I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's um, it's on the crossroads, so you have to drive through Inverary if you're going towards Oban or round the way towards Campbelltown or to Kennecraig or if you're going up towards um, Dalmally or then like Co and all that kind of stuff. So it's a real crossroads on the on uh, on the west coast. So the, the, the through traffic in the summer is insane. Yeah, so yeah. when I first moved there, I had kind of the, the joy of, I mean, I was 19, I think, but I had still the busiest bar I've ever worked behind in a long career of doing that. Mm. But at the end of the shift, you could walk down the pier, which unfortunately is almost back in commission actually it's nearly fixed but you walk down the end of the pier silence in the summer never got dark you know a, a, an endless night and just sit down there with a couple of cans of beer with some pals Amazing. and play some music so you so there was that nice thing of I was probably working in a busier bar than most people in cities but I didn't have to get a night bus home or whatever you know it was quite a kind of a nice uh, nice balance of life and mm-hmm. uh, home from home you're able to make pals you'll need to see people well I mean I was the 12th Australian to arrive. When I was working there, there were 11 others as I got there. Really? Um, because <laughs> The George Hotel is, is a good size hotel. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you're, you're 80 odd employees, yeah. you know, it's not a small concern. Like, no. it's, um, it's, it's a big old place. It is, yeah. Well, back in those days, I mean, the, the Aussies were still travelling and working and they had living accommodations, so it was just a really, yeah. a really obvious place to be. Is it a collective be. noun? 
for a, for a group of Australians. Well, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a flock of galahs, so I assume it's something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so, so bar trade is, is your background then. So you'd obviously, you'd worked in bars in Australia yourself as Absolutely, well. So yeah, you had I'm a bit of experience in that. So coming over, it wasn't a completely new start in that sense. You were working I mean, in an I, environment. I had a pour a pint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, I mean, going from the small pub that I, from my hometown, which was a lovely place and where I learned, I guess, the, the beginnings of the craft, but... Yeah, the George's revolution. I mean, we were doing kind of you know a thousand meals a day. Yeah, you kind of start doing that. And you kind of go. And, and is that a, is that a mixed clientele? You get a lot of tourism coming through, or you really haven't to understand that West Coast Scottish accent at the same time as the nineteen. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I mean, because I kind of I was a, I was a, a, a much broader Aussie than I was than I am now. I was probably a, a little bit less. Uh, uh, Sophisticated than I am now, not that I'm much more to no, be honest. But so I got kind of, I got some questions to the public bar very quickly. Okay. So <laughs> just stay away from, stay away from the posh bit, mate. Nice, you go nice. to a pub and you can swear at some locals. So yeah. I was just in there with the football crowds, with the, the travelling sports teams. You know, Shinty's massive out yeah. there, yeah. all that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I was in the thick of it with, from from day dot. So Brilliant. probably explains how how the accent was kind of kicked out of me so quickly because it was just not an option for. Me. <laughs> so when did you? I mean, did, were you, you were doing aware of whiskey in Australia? Was it something that played a big role in your life in Australia or was it moving up to Scotland and, and was that the start of your real journey into whiskey, so to speak? Really, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of uh, spent a lot of time in Hong Kong growing up and I lived there for about five years on and off and then my father lived there for basically the rest of my life, uh, or the rest of his rather. So um, there was whiskey bar there called The Canny Man, um, which was underneath the hotel we would normally stay in. So I would have a dram there with my old man. Not that he was a big whiskey head. Right. And I worked in it for an Irishman, so I kind of started drinking Guinness and Jameson's and really actually enjoyed Jameson's and still do now. Yeah. It's delicious, light, and easy. Yeah. So I had had a start in it, but then I moved to the George. <clears throat> 200 bottles of whiskey on that back bar. Tourist-led venue. You always get asked for it a lot. And basically out of professional pride not to get caught with my pants down. I learned about it. Yeah, so, yeah. So it's just that simple, you know. Like, so you, so I mean, that was like last week we had Fraser Sunis on, um, who I think is still hungover from that episode. <laughs> <laughs> but, right. but you know, he 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 was obviously going into working in a a, a, a traditional Scotch whiskey bar, Scotch yeah. in the Balmoral. So he had to learn. He it. said he locked himself right. away for yeah. six months and read, read, right. and read, the, and harassed, harassed me and Cameron. So I mean, from, from your perspective, then, what's the incentive? What's the motivation to learn about this stuff? Whereas you know, a lot of people would have gone, "Can I get one of those or one of those?" What what you said? You didn't want to get caught with your pants. Then did you often work with your pants down, or was it just a I case mean, of like? Yeah, but, yeah. but was it like, uh, you know, did you enjoy the fact that you can? educate people on it, talk to people about it, or stuff like that? I w- it was more, I guess, because it was tourist-led for a start, so there was a lot of asking for recommendations. Right. So the first port of call was just get three you can talk about. You know, just get three drams, one light, one rich, one smoky that you can at least bring down when yeah. someone says, I quite like this. Yeah. And then from there you get a six and you get a nine, and then you, you kind of get better and better at it. I mean, and equally I learned about rum and gin and, and vodka and beer, and I mean, I'd never seen a cask before. You know, that, that, you know, the idea that yeah. this beer didn't have a CO2 line going into it was mental to me. Yeah. And it was warm. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, so I, I mean, I just spent, uh, you know, a few years at the George um, learning everything from high end dining service. So it was, it was just part and parcel of it. Yeah. It was by no means a specialization. It was just, I realized I wanted to be in hospitality. I had a, a, a venue at my fingertips that did everything. Mm. And I knew I could learn it all. And I mean, I, I was there at, for maybe. 
18 months before I was I was made bar manager and I stayed there around that one bar manager of the year and all this kind of stuff yeah. ding dong I know but it was it was a really huge learning experience and it gave me a footing in the industry that I've since worked in you know Sydney's busiest restaurant and stuff <clears> and all the rest of it and after the George I never broke a sweat I've never known a venue like it. Really? Yeah. It's unbelievable how busy that place is. I still do work with them now. I go up there on a Tuesday in January and, and on the lunchtime yeah. the service is mobbed. It's so unreal. Let's how talk much about what you, what you do with them now. I mean, that's quite, I think it's quite special. But um, obviously, we can talk about what you've done in between, but starting your own business. Just before the pandemic? Or? No, no, no. Um, I, I, very, very much after the pandemic. Okay. So I'll be, um, I'll be uh, two years in my own business come February. Brilliant. So it's, it's just coming up. To and that, that's a whiskey and cynicism. That's whiskey and cynicism. Now, so right. If for people listening, then and for for us, I mean, I've got a few notes down here, but I tend not to do too much research, so I get to know information from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Aye. What is whiskey and cynicism so, then? So there is a bit of a, I guess, more of a story behind that. So the i the idea was. In its kind of inception, in, in a, about 2015, when I was working in Sydney, and I was working in cocktail bars and amongst the cocktail industry, doing a lot of cocktail competitions and kind of very much in that mixed drinks, working with brands, working through agencies, and very much kind of. And Sydney, like Sydney's got a population the size of Scotland, right? Yeah. So the the size of budgets that, that spirits brands have, the kind of activations that go on, the, the the things you're working in, it's on a scale at which you only get in London and the in the UK. I mean, we just don't see anything like it in Scotland for obvious reasons because it's just course. simply not the volume. Um, but basically, I was working with a lot of guys older than me, and I always have if I, I'm 34 now but I've, I work with guys who are 10 to 15 years older than mm-hmm. me be it Andy Gemmel who's got the gate in Glasgow Chris Clark who owns the George a guy called Jay Crawley out in Sydney Mike Aikman and Jay Scott when I was at Mothership in Edinburgh and they kind of came through the infancy of this industry when cocktails were being developed and all this money wasn't and all the rest of it and I was kind of part of or maybe just ahead of the next generation where these guys walked into an industry that was pre-built for them they had these comps they were taken away on brand trips they were just treated like royalty and kind of expected it as well yeah. and all these older guys were like fuck me man this is tiresome <laughs> so a lot of like a lot of cynicism crept into my dealing with the industry and probably a bit a bit earlier in my career than it should have so whiskey and cynicism was always meant to be part of the process rather than the product right that it was meant to kind of be i was going to start a blog and drink whiskey get angry and, and write about the shit in the industry and probably I'll, I'll get thoughtful maybe but and maybe even under a pseudonym but I was I was living in Sydney it's a very expensive town I was working two jobs the idea of doing something like that and putting my time against it for as a blog for no money kind of just made and went on the back burner fast forward to the pandemic I think well I just had a blog here I'm doing nothing and two weeks into the pandemic you're going yeah this is, might be for a long time here, lads, so what are we going to do? So I messaged a very good friend of mine who was in web development. I said, what's, what's, what does this entail? Yeah. Just have a blog. He messaged me back two hours later with a, with a URL and said, that's you, mate. Set up. Really? This is how you post. That's we cool. set it all up through, um, oh, I can't remember the, the, the name of the client because I don't use it anymore. Basically, I started writing. <clears throat> the name had just sucked and I started writing. I wrote blogs. I wrote stuff about... Your books to read during lockdown, um, opinion pieces on whiskey and stuff, and then some whiskey reviews. And it was just an outlet. Um, yeah. And then fast forward another few years, I, I'd left a job and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I knew there was opportunities to work with the George and stuff, which we'll touch on, and with other people who needed stuff doing, coming out of the pandemic, who probably didn't have the room and the budget to pay someone full-time, mm-hmm. nor the need for them to do their role full-time, but could pay 
bits and pieces to help them out on it. You know, it's consultancy is what I'm yeah. talking yeah. about. But um, that was just more prevalent out of the pandemic because obviously everyone was a bit of, of sixes and sevens. So I already had the brand. It wasn't it wasn't a, 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 something that earned me money up until then. But I had a website, I had a basis, I had an Instagram, I had all that stuff. And so the idea of not using it felt foolish. Mm -hmm. So I just kept it on. So it then, it then morphed from being a blog and an outlet creatively to being the front page for what is essentially a one-man agency, for want of a better phrase. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, you, you, you do events, you do training, and you do the consultancy stuff as yeah. well. So so just just for the storyline here, you've, you've since... You've you've been in Scotland for a while. You've then had to take it gone back and had some work in Sydney and stuff like that. And that's yeah. when the pandemic hit and you started up the board. No, no, or, sorry. The pandemic, I was back in Scotland. Right, so but that, the, uh, just the idea for the name actually was when I was in Sydney yeah. more than right. anything. Um, mm -hmm. But in Sydney, I worked at the Archie Rose Distillery for a year. I spent a little bit of time around whiskey. But again, the whole time it was mixed drinks as well. And it was. Yeah. What did you um, do at the distillery? Was it like an on trade? Yeah, they had an amazing bar in there. If, 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 if anyone wants to just have a look at Archie Rose's cocktail bar, it's one of those beautiful bars in the world copper bar tops wooden booths shaped like casks it's, it's, a, oh, it's wow. a temple to whiskey but and the bar Sydney, was in Sydney in a suburb called Rosebury but the bar looked onto a wall of casks that was um, against a grate like a mesh a metal mesh wall that had a uh, a footpath, another mesh wall, and then two big stills. Oh, cool. So it's all like part and parcel of the whole thing. So because we had a team of 12 bartenders who were like experienced cocktail bartenders who knew about spirits and, and could talk to people, we also ran the tours. Yeah, brilliant. So oh, we brilliant. did all the distillery tours. So it was a perfect hybrid job of making drinks in the evening, taking tours during the day. And, and that, so that was kind of when I got really into production and like the kind of slightly nerdier, more, more technical aspects yeah. of stuff than simply being able to make sure I had three on the bar I could know about yeah, and talk yeah. about, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, that's a fascinating story so far, but on the on the subject of cocktails, Angus, you're on the cocktails tonight, aren't yeah, you? Indeed, <laughs> yeah. What have you got yourself? I got, I got a little mocktail here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it your yeah. usual, is it? Yeah, it's the usual, yeah, whiskey, uh, no, no, uh, no, no whiskey. No whiskey. Yeah. Uh, Orange juice and lemonade. Orange juice and lemonade. That's, that's actually wrong. the real reason I'm disappearing for two weeks. You've got so, <laughs> so I guess can sort himself out. Drink responsibly. Drink responsibly. Ross, you've got a week, you've actually got a flight in front of you. Almost. I feel like I've had a flight every episode. Truth be no, told. Doing well, there. Um, what, what have you got there? So I've got something three drams that I've not had um, before. So I've got a strap Isla, kind of old style bottling, fifteen year old, very pleasant. Quite heavily sherried. Smells delicious. Yeah, that's right. very yeah, much a cream cooler sherry tart dram. Very yeah. much. Um, Too smoky for me. And then I've got an eight-year-old single cask that's sixty-three point one percent, which again smells a bit like leather and it's, sherry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Raisins and dates. It's everything you want it to be. And I've challenged myself with one dram. Mm. I went for a Kilhoman again. This how how is this in the back bar yeah. of a pub like this? It's yeah, just yeah. this is why I love diggers. I've got a distillery exclusive from Kilhomans, a sauterne finish. That's very so much my cup of tea. Heavily right. beaded, cash strength, oh, Isla. Um, yeah, so if I can't go, maybe you'll. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The bottle down, yeah. I was sniffing the cork. It just, oh, it smells yeah. delicious. It, it, it smells quite interesting, quite yeah. delicate. And I think Kilhoman is a distillery we've mentioned maybe a couple of times in previous episodes. I'm a big but fan of Kilhoman. I, I think there's a lot yeah. of admiration for a distillery like Kilhoman. Yeah. There's been so, speaks so much about these new distilleries that are starting. and Okay, there's perhaps an advantage, there's definitely an advantage of being on Isla, because the product's quite good at a young age. But also, they've been quite consistent, they've not really taken the piss with prices, yeah. they've been quite creative. Yeah. Um, I think they've just done an age statement, 16 or 17 year old recently. Mm -hmm. 16, um, yeah, 16. But 
they didn't have an age statement for the first 10, 12 years. I, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the whiskey actually has always improved, I would say. Yeah. So mm. it's really quite interesting. Simon, what are you what are you sipping with? Well, for the uh, Bunhaven 12-year-old cast strength, okay. this is the 2021 edition, which I believe is the first, first one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Bunhaven, I don't think it's going to make it into my three drams at the end of all this, but it would be... It'd be a fourth man in that in in that kind of lineup. So um, nice and sherried. When the twelve-year-old car strength was announced, a lot of people went, "Well, that's going to be good." That's good. Yeah. So the twelve's delicious. Yeah. Bump it up a little bit. It's going to be great. And I bought a bottle of it as soon as it came out. And turned out it was right. One of my favorite distilleries. So, bit of sherry, bit of fruit, just all you want. A bit of that right. salinity, bit of that coastal yeah. stuff. Just plenty going on. Well, you got I've gone, well, after Fraser Soonis' discussion last week, he talked a lot about the Glen Grant 18. So I checked if they had it behind the bar. They did have it behind the bar, so I thought, I'll have a little sip of that, and it's absolutely going down a treat. Yeah, yeah. Really and, 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 and very reasonably priced as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, I think for the fresh orange and lemonade and the, the, uh, the dram, it was about £12.20 was, or something. Yeah, so very reasonable. I'm imagining that was That's probably... 35 mils as well. 35 mils, so Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't so, know the set price, but I mean, whilst we're recording, I'm just wanting to, I'm just getting up on my phone here, because it has been a big day in the Scottish whisky industry with some news coming out about um, bear with me as uh, as ever I'd done my preparation and my homework for this <laughs> <laughs> but there's been a big day for Scottish whisky I believe <laughs> in, the, in the meantime I visited yeah, the George yeah. once I went to the George um, on the way to Isla right so yeah, I mean, well, of course yeah, just the best like yeah. what, a, what a way to um, to experience really good hospitality, great food as well. Yeah. It was a gentleman I wish I remember the first name of. Big long beard. Claudio. I knew it was Claudio. Yeah. Why did I not go with that? <laughs> um, brilliant hospitality. Quite a talented team out there as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Very lucky to have um, a kind of a solid team as they do in, in such a remote place these days. So, so yeah. be, like, we, mm, I think yeah. that is the biggest challenge. It's got to be the biggest challenge for them to keep really talented people out there. Yeah. As, it's as, be- as be- beautiful as it is, you know, it's one of those yeah. things that... A lot of people maybe stay as remote for as long. Graham, how are you getting on? Well, yeah, so basically it's a big... I mean, it's been announced today as we're recording this, which is the 16th of January, that the Scottish whisky industry provides £7.1 billion to the British government economy every year and supports 66,000 jobs across the UK, which is 41,000 jobs in Scotland. Um, You know, and it's number two the second industry in Scotland for productivity just behind energy. So, I mean, it really is... A, 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 I mean, that's big news in Scotland when we look at the like political and economic climate and yeah. you look at that mm-hmm. and you say, like, that's £7.1 billion to the British economy, um, which, is, which is massive. And, and as you say, I think what a lot of people see the whisky industry as is they see it as uh, distilleries. Now, distilleries don't employ an awful lot of people. Uh, themselves no, in the production, reasons, no. the production no, no. point. You don't need a lot of people for yeah. for running a distillery and making whiskey, but you need a lot of people to sell it. You need a lot of people to. Then there's a subsidiary businesses around it. Even exactly. like speaking to yourself, you know, your business is around whiskey uh, largely, and it's like yeah. so your business is supported by the whiskey industry. You know, you Ross, you, the, your employment right. is supported. So it's oh, very I interesting. Take within whiskey, it's yeah. one of those, yes. I mean, and our jobs probably don't count in those figures. No, well, it's it's our, ours definitely yeah, won't count. Yeah. Our, our jobs definitely won't count in those figures. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I think that what I have found, it's a very inclusive industry. Yeah. It's actually a very small industry. I mean, you don't have to be in it that long to know everybody. Yeah. Uh, everybody that you make the effort to get to know, generally, is pretty well received. 
but yeah, the, the numbers are staggering, and you know, obviously there's a big argument. I mean, the the the, the tax on whiskey is going up and up and up, and mm. it's one of those things that, that I think the bigger picture of your your independent distilleries in particular, but even you know your Diageos, who at the end of the day are bringing people to the market, bottle prices are going to suffer because of it, and it's something that we are seeing. Um, but again, that's perhaps just a single malt market, which is only ten percent of the market max. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think there'll always be ways to get good whiskey at a at a good price. Yeah, yeah. there'll be less, maybe less and less of it, and the, the yeah. nature of that might change, or what you consider good whiskey. And there's lots of different kind of things around that. But you know, I think people kind of I, I hear a lot of laments about all oh, the days of affordable whiskey and mm. good whiskey mm. are gone. And I think the only way you can arrive at that conclusion if you're a bit of a snob. Because you're discounting a lot of whiskies that you don't think are going to be it's good. True. They are, I, th- I think it's mm-hmm. a shame. Like even though I'm still relatively new to the industry, and the grand scheme of things, it is hard if somebody's getting into whiskey and you want to buy an eighteen-year-old bottle of malt whiskey, and it is yeah. one hundred and forty quid. Yeah. And that alienates so much of the market. But I understand that's a very small part of the industry right. anyway. But you, can, but you can like cars and not afford a Bugatti, you know what I mean? Like, I get you know, it. Just because you can't go there. I mean, the whole aspirational thing ties into a lot of marketing and all the, marketing mm. and all the rest of it. But mm. you know, I think that's just a big thing that the industry's got to remember and, and got to look after is that entry level, that kind of discovery level of people who are willing to try things but aren't going to fork out yeah. until they're, they're very certain, which is what... And you know, and this is a hugely biased statement because of my my uh, background. But this is what venues like this do for the whiskey industry. So you can come in and drink like you're at eighteen. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You can come in and drink this. I mean, I mean, you, you can come in and drink twenty twenty one year uh, twenty twenty one edition, but having twelve. Yeah. You might better get that at auction, but by now it'll be scarce and yeah. through the roof in yeah. price. So, mm. the, what places like this give you is the ability to try whiskies that you wouldn't otherwise, and just decide whether you like them, especially. At, the very kind of uh, fair prices that the dickies are always doing. Yeah, I think oh. something that we've, all, perhaps since I've known you, Simon, something we've always leaned into is indie bottlings. That is, yes. is something that is, I, I still, I feel, I'm sure the numbers would be amazing how many, how little people would, would think of buying an independent bottling of all malt whiskey or, or a blended whiskey because they'll just buy it from the supermarket yeah. or the yeah. local shop. But you can get really good value whiskies oh. in even the newest, trendiest independent bottlers. What know? did we have on yeah. Saturday? We were uh, there was a little bit of a whiskey stories podcast uh, day out on Saturday, <laughs> and it was an independent bottle. From in- Glen. It was Woody's. Oh uh, yeah, it was. Woodrow's. Um, yeah, it was um, Manic Moore. Manic Moore, lovely. Yeah. So again, a hideous distillery with a big modern box. Yeah, you're not shying. Not shying. Oh, that's another comment from the distillery. 1971, I think. Yeah, really ugly. Lovely whiskey, though. But the but the liquid has always been good. Well, and it's something again. Whiskey saddles. I'm going to put you in this as well, Simon. Whiskey saddles like myself mm -hmm. and Simon. If somebody says, "Oh, I've tried a manic port. I really this is this is a belter," Mm, you don't think twice because you know it's going to be good value. You know it's not going to take the piss, and. Why not? Yeah. Oh. But again, so much of that stuff is like Manic Moore, Linkwood, Inchgal, Glenlossie, Tinnitic, all these distilleries that are very consistently producing good liquid and are very available in independent bottlings. Yeah. They're all Diageo. Yeah. And it yeah. just shows how much Diageo yeah, actually kind of. And I'm, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I have no affiliation with Diageo at all, but I kind of rail a little bit against the all the, the evil, big evil bad guys because actually I speak to independent bottlers and they go, they're the only ones with the taps on. No, they don't actually really. They're, 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 they're the ones that are so well. good to like actually get spirit from. They build, they, they invest in the distilleries, they build the Johnny Walker yeah. experience. Yeah. Not, maybe not for you and I, but what that does for Scotch whiskey is no, huge. It's yeah. Yeah. You know, like, I spoke to Cody Reynolds uh, yeah. mm. uh, uh, talking about the Scotch whiskey experience 
and we mm-hmm. talked about like the one of the questions I asked was, will that damage? Will the will Johnny Walker experience damage the Scotch whiskey experience? And he was like, no, it'll make it better. Yeah. Because what will happen is people will go maybe to, they'll they'll know to go to this they'll they'll see the big Johnny Walker one. Aye. They'll see it as it's Johnny Walker, it's Edinburgh, it's Scotland, it's whiskey. Mm. They'll go there and then they'll maybe go and go, That was really, really good. Is there anything else that we can do <coughs> in Edinburgh? And as you say, literally the football of the castle will mm. keep Sweet yeah. so busy. Ah, and yeah. they'll say, What else can we do in Edinburgh? And yeah. they'll say, Go to Hollywood or yeah. go or go to but even things like makes it. Edinburgh a whiskey destination as well, oh, which exactly. it, 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 it's it, never it wasn't, really been. It wasn't before. Yeah, yeah. apart from just by sheer yeah. Nature yeah. having to come yeah, through. Exactly. Like it's yeah. true. I mean, the whiskey that we have drank the most in each other's company, mm. whether it be like old blends and stuff from another another venture you were on, mm. done, done recently, has been Pernod Ricard distilleries that in theory you'll never visit. Yeah. But at these like yeah. Milton yeah, Dustin yeah, and the Burgess oh, of the world. Well, like, yeah. Talk to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your favourite whiskey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great stuff. One of my favourite drivers of all time was Brazier Glen I mean, that's the thing is that you've got, kind of got these stories you can't visit out there, don't have that. And, but when you talk about whether one attraction will hurt another, I mean, do you think a space like this really takes away from another one? No. I mean, I think people underestimate are to me how much whiskey nerds will do. Mm-hmm. The amount of people will do like eight distilleries in a day if they can, which yeah. that'd be funny is my idea of hell. <laughs> but <laughs> driving between them and get the tours booked, yeah. just just go and sit in the Highlander and drink the drams. But Absolutely. that's me. That's but, me um, yeah. but like you know, but the people. Are obsessive. Yeah, But people are like the, the, the people are obsessive about whiskey to a, to a mm. level that, in fact, most of us in the industry aren't. Yeah. It's actually the amateurs who take it much more seriously than we yeah. tend to. Yeah. And I guess maybe that's because we peek behind the curtain a little bit. But it's amazing what whiskey tourism can can do for, for, yeah. for, for this and country. And when you see, like you say, when you see well, the figures like that. But yeah. I tell you what, Angus, one man who mm. would have been part of the, that 66,000 to 41,000 Scots working in the whiskey industry would have been Rabbi Burns himself, the exciseman. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. And the, the, the excise. Seamless, you see that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's yeah. yeah. what a segue. And we went to Nice Slide June Sideways. That's a great yeah. podcasting battle. 15 episodes in. That's top tier podcast. Yeah, because it's interesting because I did a slight bit of preparation for this podcast by way of you mentioning this, Graham. And it, it, but it is an interesting side of Robbie Burns because it kind of, in, in an odd sort of way, it, it conflicts with a lot of what Robbie Burns is to so many people and that, you know, that, that there's this kind of anti-authoritarian figure becoming the figure of authority. Um, and it, it, it's just a very interesting... You know, I, I actually knew very little about it before I started reading. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that it was the thing that came at the end of his life rather than somewhere exactly. else. So it, yeah. it was towards the end, so it was it was once he'd kind of decided that he'd failed as a tenant farmer. How old was he when he died? He was no, he was only in his 40s. He was in the for the last yeah, seven he was years. Er- he was early 40s, so it actually came... Uh, to- towards the end of his life, he decided he'd failed as a tenant farmer, but through his poetry, he'd kind of gained connections. He had lots of contacts he you know this is the kind of again the contrast of Rabbi Burns is he's the kind of the peasant poet but he was quite a well connected man had friends in high places and he, he managed to you know by writing a few letters to the right people get this uh, commission and they um, becoming an excise man at the port of Dumfries yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and I don't think you know, from reading the article, from reading what I've read, it was ever a job that particularly suited him. I don't think mm. it was a job he particularly enjoyed, but... Um, Paid the bills. 
It paid well, the bill. Well, poem, you wrote, um, wrote the poem about the deals of war with the excisemen. Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, deal being, uh, I'm assuming through mm. Scots, deal being the devil. Mm. So, I am. Mm. With the, with some the of the, the X-Men, yeah yeah so the deal come fiddling through the tune basically the devil mm. come fiddling through yeah. the tune I think there's insinuations through the poem that he's basically saying like the X-Men and the devil were in a dance together ah, yeah. because at that time of writing of course mm. the illicit stills in Scotland that were going mm. was still huge yeah because yeah, you're talking I mean when did he die? He died in 1776 off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, y- yes. So this was 1792. No, no, it was later, 1790s he was still around. So, so this poem stuff? was written in 1792. Yeah, right. I think so 1790s. was well in production. Um, so he, 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 you know, I think he was more dealing with kind of smugglers mm. down in that part of the world. Uh, yeah. You know, there was kind of, there was one very famous ship that he kind of captured Allegedly, you know, there are accounts saying that he single-handedly, with a claymore in his hand, kind of captured this fish. Uh, this fish, fish. Captured, <laughs> captured a ship that was, um, you know, smuggling illicit substances. You know, uh, and but I think one story, which is probably a bit apocryphal, is that the cannons on that he uh, he sent, he tried to send to France to help the revolutionaries. So um, yeah. whether that's true or not, who Scottish, knows? Scott, Scottish never let facts get in the way of a good it's story. Funny you should so. mention that though, because I, yeah. I just picked up um, an auction because one of the uh, mm. one of the auction sets I used to buy stupid old blends and weird stuff. They do a kind of me- like a merch memorabilia kind of auction. Mm-hmm. I just picked up a copy of a, it's a book called. Um, uh, Bones, Poet and Excise Man and it was mm. published in uh, this is the fourth edition it was published in 1876 fourth edition yeah and that's when it was oh god yeah yeah so I, and, and, it, and it's and it was published in 1876 and I got it for mm. 12 quid at auction and it's yep. original and it's, really? it's a beautiful old book but it's late mm. enough in the fact to have um, some very early kind of black and white photos taken then of where he had been and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. but there's um, there's this kind of a, the, the intro to it's really interesting because it focuses on him being an excise man and um, there's, a, there's a bit about basically a lot of people during the end of his life and kind of post his life tried to um, insinuate or basically trying to ruin his reputation saying that he wasn't a very good exercise man he was maybe a bit dishonest maybe a bit as you say as we may expect him to be railing against the authority he would become part of and that, a lot of this book is about this uh, research being done saying every single report on him because obviously still been very bureaucratic mm. every single report on him saying that he was doing an honourable job and all the rest of it yeah. Yeah. and you wonder if Robbie Burns posthumously wouldn't have minded if the other side actually kissed, became canon in history like yeah. that he was rebelling from well, thin uh, yeah. doing that uh, I, mean, I mean we know we, you know we know from you know the you know, for example, the history of William Wallace and all this sort of thing. When it comes to kind of Scottish folk heroes, the myth's almost more appealing than the yes. the reality. Yeah, and, yeah. and and people like to exaggerate and invent the stories that go with these kind of guys. Well, the industry's full of it as well. Yeah. So yeah. Well, oh, yeah. When you talk exactly. about excisemen, you know the the the, the real story was the um, you know the story of Glenn Glenn Livett. And it was a story of uh, flintlock pistols. Is this the well? Well, no. It was even the fact that like they, when they brought out, uh, of course, they had to be careful because it was a nod towards it. Because I think what am I right in saying that when the Glenlivet, the re- was it King George had asked for the real Glenlivet. Was this on his famous trip to Scotland? His famous, famous trip to Scotland. Have you got any yeah. the good stuff? Because the re- he knew even the illicit stuff then was. And but at, the, at that point, the illicit stuff was known as. The Glenlivet. So all yeah. Stayside whiskey was called as Glenlivet. Well, yeah, because in the, the Valley of Glenlivet. Yeah. 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 Well. So if you go back on the, the oldest cocktail books in the world, it will say add 
you know, two ounces of Glen Levitt. Yeah, so yeah. there's no PR no. for Pernod Ricard there. It's not about the Glen yeah, Levitt yeah. distillery, the Glen Levitt. But it's so about anything. Yeah, yeah. All, you know, the Glen, the Glen Levitt. Who was it? Was it J- James? Uh, George J. Smith. Yeah, relation of yours. Ah, uh, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not many of us about. So no, there's not really that many Smiths around, is there? But, but the, the, if I'm right in saying that, I might be getting my, there'll be some historian maybe shouting at his radio right now, listen, but if I'm right in saying, I'm sure the the current, or not the current, but the Glenlivet distillery itself, which is the Glenlivet, wasn't built until at least two years after the king had famously said okay. the real Glen Lizard. It was still illegal when he said that. Yeah, and yeah. basically George did the deal with the excise man saying, right, I'll legitimise myself, I'll have a proper distillery, I'll stop running from the tax tax man, but I get the yeah. I get the Glen Livid on yeah. me. So everything else was then called Abelau, Glen Livid, Glen Bergy, Glen Livid, right? And that's the only person the only bottler I still know uses those names is Cadenheads. Yeah. yeah. But that was the deal he made was I'm gonna pay tax, I yeah. want the Glen Livid. So around the world Wherever my whiskey goes, it's the Glenlivet because, as you said, the Glenlivet had grown that reputation. Mm-hmm. There's a, I mean, if, if you, the YouTube series Liquid Antiquarian, um, which covered, there's an episode that covers all of this brilliantly. If, if you're into whiskey history, yeah, it's mm. really worth it uh, for um, anyone out there who wants to just get a, a get an idea of how all that happened because it's quite a fascinating time in, in Scotch whiskey history because it's romanticised. Yes, but it was people going round. Physically harming, maybe well, even killing excise yeah. men. It was, yeah. it was, it was, it was, was organised crime to an extent. It was smuggling it and all that. Like, I mean, was... people finally started to pay. T- I mean, what we're going to see a lot of this year as a whiskey trend is the amount of two hundred year anniversaries we're about to see because mm. people did start finally paying tax in eighteen twenty four. McCallum already done a they, they, they it, like first of January two hundred year two hundred year. Yeah. I had that in my email straight away, but you're going to see so much of it. Well, yeah, that's a pretty toy time the, to the, celebrate. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the excise man as a kind of figure in history as well is just you know it's a, it's almost like the kind of pantomime villain. There was an excellent account I read um, about six months ago, and it was about a guy from. Uh, he was an English from Birmingham and he went went up to South Uist to work as a teacher, schoolmaster in the kind of 1880s uh, around this time. There was one time he heard a story that the the excise, or I think he actually was there, but the excise man caught this, um, you know, it was the old classic, it was the horse-drawn cart and pulled up the tarpaulin and there were barrels of whiskey and the excise man got on the cart, seized the cart and said, right, I'm you know, I, I'm confiscating this. Yeah, right. confiscating this, and we're driving it to the policeman, who you know, the one policeman in South Uist at the time. Um, but by the time he got there, when he looked back, all the barrels had mysteriously disappeared off the cart because they'd been pushed off by the locals, and everybody had kind of worked Rally out what was happening. Yeah, so yeah, when yeah. he got to the policeman, there was nothing on this cart, and these barrels of whiskey had even been dumped in the side of the road, and it was even great things like copper dogs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like you hear about the stories of you know these little copper uh, a copper dog is it just we copper cylinder that we kept on a chain yeah. that could be kept up someone's uh, someone's sleeve. Mm-hmm. So it, because. I mean, the excisemen, they, they lived on site. Mm. So the excisemen, mm-hmm. would, there, there was only two people in the distillery that would be allowed a set of keys to the spirit safe would basically be the spirit manager and the excisemen. And every centiliter of spirit and every centiliter of what went into camp had to be accounted for. So when you got these stories, I mean, you hear when you go into the distilleries and stuff like that, some great stories about how, well, some excisemen, they would ha- happily turn a blind eye because there was like a... You know, there was a, a, an unwritten rule in the whiskey industry where everyone was allowed a couple of drams every day before they started work. Some excisemen wouldn't allow it at all. 
Whereas others, others would turn the blind eye to it. I mean, I think there's a story, is it, I think it might be, is it Highland Park Distillery where they still got like, there were slates that had been removed from the roof of one of the Dunnage warehouses where the guys would be able to actually literally pull, pull bungs out of casks and drop stuff in of the good stuff because the only alternative was, I mean, quite a lot of the time, some of these guys, and it's just madness to think, was the excisemen on site would actually say, well, if you're going to, going to get any, you're getting it straight straight out the still yeah still well, I, I, I mean like uh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and which would just been people would have been drinking a lot more when you mm. spirit or aqua, aqua yeah, 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 absolutely yeah. I remember hearing I was actually been having distillery and I kind of you know I, I went round the kind of tour and all that and I remember them talking about this and talking about how you know okay back in the day you know we used to talk about not being a great employer these distilleries back in the day that was slightly different there were quite a lot of people working in these distilleries mm. a lot more Kind of manual labour, physical labour, um, and these guys did get a whiskey ration. Now the whiskey they were drinking, you know, could quite conceivably have been new make stuff. Um, in fact, it probably almost certainly, certainly was. But uh, and and quite often these guys died six months after they retired because they would stop getting their whiskey yeah. ration and uh, yeah. that would be the end of it. But then, like, new, I mean, new make cleric, whatever you want to call it, I mean, that was whiskey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, Nobody the, was aging. A cask was storage or transport yeah. more than anything. You know, yeah. It wasn't like it was going in there to then be transformed into what we would then yeah. call whiskey. Was, exactly. was whiskey off the still. Oh, yeah, know? whiskey was, yeah. If you're listening to any music just now, if you hear it, Angus has brought his mandolin in with him. <laughs> he's running away gently here. Yeah, yeah. We do have some nice background there, music. There is, there is a room next to us, and there are, uh, I think there's traditional music in. Anyway, if you can hear it, it's very nice. It adds a kind of a nice background well, to the going the back chapter. to the going back to the if I remember the story correctly and again I'm going to botch this with too many ifs buts and maybes but it was Lady Elizabeth Grant from the Rothy Murkis estate who actually was called upon by her father who knew he had illicit whiskey mm-hmm. in the house right and basically the story goes that when King George arrived her father who had been an MP and a failed MP and also had basically bankrupt the family, had had to move back up. The whole family had to move from Edinburgh back up to the, to this family estate. They had to get rid of all the workers of the house. So it was Lady Elizabeth Grant, who was like the eldest daughter, who was now gone from being this lady-in-waiting to actually having to work in the house and everything like that. So her dad, she was expecting to travel down to Edinburgh for the king's arrival. And she'd been told that she couldn't because she had to stay back home and work in the work in the house. And she was obviously at this point, you know, looking for her husband and all these kind of things back in the Victorian ages and stuff. So basically, then her dad had found out the king had said, "I want the real Glenlivet." Nod, nod, wink, wink. None of this low and stuff. Mm-hmm. I want that's that's legal, but tastes rotten. I want the good stuff from the Highlands. And he knew he had some in the house, so he sent word back up to the house to say, bring the stuff we've got. But one of the things that she said was that, now I'm going to try and find the quote from her, because it actually references the change in flavour of it being rested in wood and how it tasted smooth like milk rather than the harsher stuff that came straight from the bottle. Yeah. So basically what was happening was like they had, I'll try and find the quote, but it's going to be hard to find it whilst I'm doing this, but but basically that is one of the stories, like the stories that's associated with the, with this, the Glenlivet, the real Glenlivet, but what's also really interesting is it's, in her, she wrote diaries and kept diaries and from those mm. dates, it's like one of the earliest recordings of somebody 
you know, referencing the fact that the, 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 yeah. they would keep it in wooden casks, small wooden casks. But what the noticeable stuff was, because she, she was annoyed that like, the family rations were having to get sent down. Yeah. She's had yeah. this kept in the cask, and she she says in her diaries that you know the stuff out the cask tastes a hell of a lot better than the stuff that you get straight from out of the bottles. Well, I mean, from everything was kept in casks, right? I mean, yeah. It was just what was used as the primary form of transport storage, whether it be meat, fish, whiskey, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, and, and when big households will have had their own cellar with their own. Ca- I mean, the word butler comes from sherry butt because it was someone who managed a cellar because of all the butts in the cellar so I did not know that so, so, so like but if you but if you in the old days when you would when before they changed laws in Jerez when you could transport sherry and bottles somewhere else mm. yeah. they were bottling it all in London we ended up with lots of sherry butts or yeah. sherry cars that were empty and you've got whiskey needs transported what are you going to do with it yeah well yeah. that makes sense it sounds better than the fish bucket we've got so yeah. let's, yeah. let's use the sherry cask although, yeah. although ironically did we not hear that the uh, a few months ago um it was at a tasting by Mark Thompson, and he said that uh, I think somebody at Glenfinnick had once tried with an old fish barrel yeah. because he said, "You're not telling me that some of these distilleries weren't using these people in the days yeah, gone past." There's people yeah. that are trying experimental yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like, like, Tabasco. Well, that was another that one. Was there. Tabasco, yeah. Tabasco. I've tried yeah. Tabasco, but that's have you? You can't. You can't have um, an experimental series. Well, we were experiment. talking about it. Even just was it Starwood Distillery, the Australian Distillery, about the ginger beer. Ginger beer. Ginger beer. Ginger beer. Yeah. So you're desperate to try that. I'd love to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually I've been. To, yeah. Still in the bar. Well, have you got it in your bar? Yeah. Yeah. Have you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, well, that's it. I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> that, I'm actually, that should because I want to hear about what you're doing with the George Hotel now, but that will also take us on to onto that. Okay. Onto the next part. So. Angus, okay, you keep that, playing the that, tunes in the corner. That, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was your historical historical whiskey stories moment Aye, of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our deep dive into maybe maybe, maybe, maybe legit yeah. stories, maybe absolute nonsense. No, but that's, <laughs> the, fun, no, but that's the fun of history. No, we, yeah, we, didn't, we didn't even get started on the Jura stories. But, yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a great book by David Mitchell from the Middle Colon Rolling. I won't go into it too much, but what he says is he's. Uh, recounting history, yeah. which is history that he's recounting, which is stories. Yeah. Yeah. He is not recounting fact. It's an accepted version of history, or yeah. believe it. and yeah. that's all of it is. We yeah. Not because we cannot know the past. So all history is to an extent. But, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. interpretation of 100%. what may have happened. Like, I mean, on that, I mean, I do want to. We will talk about it. But I mean, the interesting thing about the, the whiskey history industry, like the, the whiskey industry and its roots and history now, is that it sometimes the story is great. Right, sometimes the story is fantastic and you think that's the marketable story mm. that you want. Mm. But as you said, sometimes if you scrape away the, the fairy dust and the and you mm-hmm. actually go, you know, like you're talking about was it George Smith, you're saying um he had to carry guns with him for his own protection. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and the thing is all it takes is, is the McAllen or any distillery to start running big campaigns over something and then someone might go, I will wait a minute because see that there? That's because he took my great 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 granddad's land, and then suddenly it's like, well, we're yeah, and and it's a sad state where some of these great stories, even things like, you know, when you look at the we go further on, we've talked about Rabbi Burns stopping smuggling going on, but you look at even like the, the America during the prohibition, prohibition and yeah. you hear some of the great stories yeah. about how. But again, there's an appetite yeah. for it as well. But how can yeah. how can but a, 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 a global brand cannot allow themselves to promote yeah they can't always be positive stories behind the scenes well, but like breaking the law the GDC yeah, you're, you're, yeah, like, you're romanticised again prohibition gets yeah. romanticised but I mean it was it was yeah. organised I mean yeah. the thing is what, the other thing that we forget is the way those histories are told is mostly about 
serious violence and 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 and, and murder, which was really much more acceptable until yeah. relatively recently yeah. in human history. I mean, we're probably one of the first generations who probably go through their whole life not seeing a dead body. Mm. Yeah, you know, the, the amount of people just. I mean, and you get, and you get, the further you go back, the more yeah. it is. But yeah. you know, someone walking around with two pistols in Scotland would now seem absolutely abhorrent. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it was absolutely. just what you had to do because yeah. that stuff was just what happened. So yeah. there's a kind of retrospective romanticizing it and washing of that yeah. stuff because it just happened. At the time, it was up yeah. the it time. just happened. Like, White, I mean, White Mackay are probably the brand. Right. I, I think the White Mackay have having some of the most extravagant marketing mm. stories that are, that are brilliant. Yeah. Um, but, but some of them are ludicrous, like the one-eyed Campbell and Isla, or, or mm. Jura, and, but then the Stags on the Dalmore King Alexander. I recently visited another uh, White Mackay distillery where it was all about, well, the part we can't tell on the tour, just me and my dad, is that we're celebrating this land, we're planting Scottish oak, blah, blah, blah. But the entire history of this land is slaves, slave owners. Yeah. And so, yeah, you get positives and negatives. Yeah. Oh, of course, this is it. They're never going to promote that. No, yeah. That's no, still the harsh reality of, of a business well, I mean, like this. The, the, the story is. Uh, the amazing thing about whiskey history is that we do hear a lot of the funny, fanciful I mean, versions. There was prominent. Do. Yeah, yeah prohibitions are one we think very light of. Ah, well, yeah. the, the, on the prohibition side, there was, there was like prominent people who had basically grown up in towns in Speyside who had distilleries or, and were rubbing shoulders with some of the biggest crime lords in America. Well, <laughs> and you're looking at these truchters, but for a better word of the phrase, no offence yeah. to the people up the north of Scotland, but these people <laughs> sitting there with... <laughs> <laughs> he's a fighter you've got plenty of ammunition yeah, yeah, yeah. but, yeah. but the he's point he's got a round of applause for it I've got six fingers but, um, but the, the thing is it, when you actually think about it and you, you, you think about the, the ludic like how crazy yeah, that must have yeah. been where you've got a guy who's maybe grown up all his life just in Craig Allocate fifth generation barley farmer aye and, and suddenly <laughs> over rubbing shoulders with major I, I crime gang lords but trying to work out how we can get Scotch whiskey into America but it's those things that happen because that's what killed off Ireland yeah, yeah. yeah. and brought yeah. Scotch whiskey to the present. well that and phlox really helped as well there's a few things but yeah. you know Scotch whiskey it does have a history of falling up yeah like yeah. it went wrong for other categories and Scotch went well we're actually still here last yeah. year yeah. do you want to fancy this I thought it was really interesting I was reading recently Obviously, doing your homework for heading no, over. No, 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 I'm, I'm more of a rubber drinker now than ever, but um, you know, the production and the sale of alcohol was illegal. Yeah, yeah. If you had a Simon Smith, let's, how many bottles do you have personally? You've got about 50, 100 bottles of whiskey to your name? Oh, yeah, that yeah, a bit more let's, maybe. Let's, let's, yeah, say, yeah. let's say that. Yeah, um, is it an excise bandless? If you owned that, <laughs> Uh, you, by the way, prohibition. Uh, most of the, most of the states three months warning. Yeah, yeah. So you've got. By the way, let's actually look at that. Three months to say, fill your boots, get no, as much yeah, as you can. Three months warning of prohibition. It wasn't illegal to own the alcohol for most of prohibition. It was legal to distill it or to sell it. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is how all these I, the idea of what we what do we love when you go to a new city? Look for a speakeasy. The idea of a speakeasy yeah, yeah. and but like obviously coming from bars, mm. having run bars. People, nobody knows that a speakeasy isn't just a wee trendy name for a well, bar. It's all about. I mean, the thing is, like, because I mean, the 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 pop up bar that I had during December, yeah. that to me is basically the definition of a speakeasy. 100%. I would hate that word because basically it's become a marketing term to mean yeah. people in sleeve gardens, gardens and fedoras making drinks that they really shouldn't be. <laughs> but 
and, and and with a neon sign above the door. You know what I mean? Like it's not yeah. a speakeasy. Yeah. It's just it just you've basically done some full contrived nineteen twenties bullshit. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of people I know who run bars like that who are angry at me now. But <laughs> you know, but the thing is like a speakeasy and the and the, the, the thing of it is is because a speakeasy is designed to be somewhere where you can speak easy. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, because obviously in that time, because of what was going on, there was a lot of anti authoritarian uh, sentiment as well. So I mean I've had people in into the pop up bar from Many walks of life and MPs and you know people are very high up in various things who stood around that bar in that little hole in the wall down in the old town and spoken very easily and it's been yeah. to me being back to the the, the real kind of like yeah, essence yeah. of being a bartender where nothing goes out of this room yeah, yeah. and like, these days I could just do that yeah oh of course yeah. Cat for the listeners yeah. I'm miming holding a phone camera yeah. but you know. On, on social, yeah. sell it to Edinburgh Live, sell it to the, the, the sort of a tabloid and go, yeah. guess what has this person said? Yeah. In my, you so know, that, it's that kind of, that's a speakeasy yeah. to be not. And so the whole idea of speakeasies and prohibition is that actually, if my friend Graham had 300 bottles of some kind of spirit, I could come around to your house. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to stop coming around to your house. No. Yeah. But as long as we don't talk about well, what we're like, doing or yeah. if there's any money exchanged, you weren't actually breaking the law. A lot of mm. people think you just... Yeah. It was it's very, it's very difficult to ban people from consuming something. Yeah. yeah. And we still see that in modern lawmaking now. Yeah, of course. Possessing it, selling it, different thing, but consuming something is very difficult to police. Well, then I guess you got, you got a round of applause for that too. Yeah. 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 So, 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 right, what are you Please, before we get to the bar, what do you now do with the George Hotel? Right, okay, yeah, so sorry, 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 a lot yeah. of history. So, We're talking about whiskey and cynicism as a consultant, as a host of events that I've been lucky to to, to go to. Of course, you came uh, to last one, didn't you? Yeah. I think we could tie in more than one venue with this. But yeah. One thing that I think is amazing that you've been able to do and has achieved results, awards, mm-hmm. is what you've done at the George and now what you've just... A similar thing you've done with the new Port of Leaf Distillery in Edinburgh as well. Yeah. So tell us about that. Well, it, it, you, the interesting thing about it to me is that it's something that wouldn't have existed in the industry maybe five, certainly not ten years ago. Is basically what I do for the George is, well, I look after their spirits buying and do stuff across many categories and do a lot of things with brand liaising and, and, and support and stuff like that. The main bit of what I do is I, I curate their whiskey selection. And what that kind of means is, while it's a, it's a, it's a joy, it, it means that keeping it evolved, keeping it... Um, and evolving, giving it a th- not a theme but a purpose, because there was a time. So there's probably about four hundred and fifty bottles of whiskey behind the George, but between the two bars, I'm off the top of my head. If you wanted four hundred and fifty bottles of whiskey ten years ago, you would go to a supplier, probably would have been Gordon McPhail back then, and gone send me four hundred and fifty bottles of whiskey, please. The four hundred and fifty that you've got. Yeah. Because that was it. That was all. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't just there weren't that many products on the market. Whereas now, because there's so many independent bottlings, so many new distilleries, so many various releases, there's so many things around. Actually, curating that selection is not buying it's, it's a, a huge chunk of whiskey. Like, and having quite a diverse port. It sounds easy to have a diverse selection for four hundred and fifty. It'd be quite easy to go. Oh, these are all great value. These are really interesting. Well, I mean, we've we, we had the uh, you know we had we had Kev on here. From from you know Diggers Athletic Arms has got over seven hundred bottles of whiskey that he's got available, and we've also had Colin Hines who has the largest open whiskey he's, collection. Yeah, he's got three thousand bottles downstairs. But but the thing is, like all both of them have said, it would have been so easy to go to just go around and say right, Glen Fiddick, 12, 15, 18, mm-hmm. and Fire and Cane, mm. Glen Livet, go through all them, go to get every single and just go that. But what they've been able to do is, I mean, they're curating in one sense or another by 
buying what they think would be good to just sit on their yeah. shelves. But yeah. if you're curating in a in a different way where you're trying to sort of showcase in yeah. some ways, is it, it so it's not just a case of just going out and buying in bulk and saying, There we yeah. go, we've got four hundred and fifty different whiskies. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we've got some islas and we've got some space eyes. But what what kind of things are you looking to judge your curation and to, to to focus on that. What's been the challenges of doing something like that? Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, it's availability. And the thing is, it's being very aware of what's happening in the market. And that's kind of why, you know, I mean, I think back to when I was the bar manager at the George and working a lot and running that place, having to do what I do on top of that would have been really difficult. Yeah. Whereas I was just ordering from GM, keeping the same stock on the shelves back then, you know, it was literally Finish just the bottle, repeat, order another one, whatever, and then making sure you had enough of the bigger ones, bigger selling ones, and then maybe, I mean, if there was a new whiskey in a month, it was, you know, we'd have a parade. Like yeah. it was, you know, it was just not right. the, the dynamicity we have in the industry now. You're talking 2011 when I say that, 2011, yeah. but now, I mean, so the, 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 the public bar at the George's is, which is where the, the bulk of the whiskey is, was always meant to have a, a West Coast focus as much as possible. Okay. It's not exclusive, but where it can, it's got that, be it New World distilleries, but it's also uh, independent bottling, um, new, new distilleries and special release focus. So there are 300 bottles of whiskey, I think on that kind of main bar off the top of my head. If not, it's within shooting distance, right? And the way the bar is broken up, because it's an old antique bar, is it's got three three shells vertically, and it's uh, got those little spindles that the bars are always, you know, those wooden kind of carved spindles. Yeah. Yeah. And they basically break it into nine sections. Categories. So the top section is a small little shelf, and it's got Buna Harv in it because it fits there, right? So let's just, <laughs> just, discount, let's just discount that. But apart from that, you've got top left through to bottom right. The top shelf stuff is all light um, cask influence. So you've got um, anything with a bourbon cast and especially a refill or anything like that. And at the very top left, you've got something unpeated. And at the very top right, you've got Octomore. Okay. So from left to right, you're always moving... Octomore is most heavily peated most whiskey, whiskey, in, the whiskey in the world. So from left yeah. to right, you're moving from no peat to peat. Right. And as you come down the way, so you come to the second shelf, you've got anything with a maybe a, a refill, um, like sherry cask or sweet wine cask or whatever, or... Um, a finish, all that kind of thing. So with a, with a medium cask influence, and again, left to right, you're moving through peatedness. And on the bottom shelf, you've got the stuff like what's in your glass. You've got first fill, full match, sherry bombs. You've got um, heavy sauterne stuff. You've got heavy wine casks. The odd bourbon cask, because there are some out there that are first fill and have just yeah. really yeah. had the shit kicked out of them by that cask. And again, moving left to right in um, from peatedness to unpeated. So you've got this matrix of flavor in front of you that basically, if you say to a customer, what's your favorite whiskey? And they go, I really like um, Talisker 10. Mm. And the old Talisker 10 is there on the shelf. Anything within, a, you know, within a meter either side of that, you're probably going to enjoy. Yeah. So just work it's out from there. It's a clever way. So, yeah. so, so now, uh, but it's, it's, it's a bit like, um, you know, I mean, we've, we've been in here and sometimes it's a bit of a wild goose chase to find your whiskey. It's almost like trying to put your records in alphabetical collection or something exactly, like that. Exactly, yeah. Do you do it by year or do you do it yeah. by... But I mean, the thing is, and, and I guess this leads into kind of what I do in general, and we'll talk about um, Portland and stuff as well, but the more I talk about whiskey, the more I think everything should be talked about flavour first. Yeah. I've railed against regions for years for various reasons. I don't like the idea of age statements coming into it too much because I just don't think they do in what we're seeing in modern whiskey making. But flavour is the most important thing to me, to you and to the consumer, whether, and no matter where they are on that whiskey journey, first, or, first stop or you know, absolute veterans, if they can have a very good idea of what part of the shelf they're looking at. And what it means is distilleries are scattered across the back bar because obviously different distilleries have different releases. 
pieces, mm-hmm. but it gives people an idea of what they're looking for. And on the procurement side, what it gives me, which is a little bit of a cheat, is they're going, if there's one bit of the shelf that's a bit thin, I need to know what I need to go and look for. Yeah. So that yeah. kind of makes life a bit easier, but it's taken us a long time to get to that. Okay, so would, would, would you be OCD about this? Would you come in there sometimes and go, oh, I wouldn't have that there, I'd have that five feet to the left, or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, fortunately, there's a, a we've uh, a, a, fortunately we had a bar manager go up there in about uh, in the last summer. A guy called Ivan Rauber, who was at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society beforehand, was at the Bowl Bar before that. Massive whiskey head. So I've now got someone on site who's yeah. probably just as anal as me, which does help. Yeah. But there is still the occasion of going up there and going, "Why is that there?" Yeah. Um, which which is part of it. But I mean, then the, the, the other side of that is I've got to step back. I mean, I'm a consultant. I'm separate from yeah, it. So I, I used to work with Ivan. Well. And that's yeah. not that. So, so that's a mix of. Independently bottle whiskies. And Sorry, that was the other point I was going to make. There's probably, if there's six core range normal age statement bottlings on that 300, I'd be amazed. It's Almost. all independents, special releases, or at the very Actually, least, new distilleries. Right, so it's not, yeah, so that's where you're even so, getting a and, 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 and so, sorry, no. um, the George was the first venue you've done, done this with by yourself yeah so basically when I was kind of looking at what I was going to do I was speaking to the owner of the George she was a very good friend he was best man at my wedding etc etc and I can't remember I think I was up there at the time just for a visit and we were looking at those shelves in the public bar and there was something like 15 whiskies on them yeah because they hadn't invested in anything over COVID just yeah. to the uncertainty <clears throat> there were no tourists and it's 90% tourists who drink the whiskey anyway yeah. and he went and this was kind of January time and he went this just looks like a Christmas tree in January all the le- all the pine yeah. all the pines have fallen off. It just looks bare. And it, and 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 as a, as a, a you know, he's this Chris is the sixth generation of that family to run that hotel. It's been the Clark family since eighteen sixty. So born and bred West Coast Scotsman, looking at his own bar and going, "There's no fucking whiskey here." Yeah. And so it just coincided that I was like, "Maybe well, I don't know what I'm doing, but what I can do in the meantime is help you rebuild that." Um, and he was, you know, he, he had the faith to to invest in it yeah. as a business, and yeah. so now. Yeah, there's 300 bottles up there where there were 15 not even two years ago. And more significantly, because that's got the attention of, certainly got the attention of me from the Bomolo at the time, one whiskey bar of the year. One whiskey bar of the year within four months. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, which was you obviously... You must have walked out like Vince McMahon, the shoulders swinging, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, we, 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 it was always part of the plan, and, you know, awards are kind of seen by different people in different ways yeah. in the industry, and, 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 the, and, the, and the kind of... Legitimacy of them, all those kind of things, but the reality is, people, your consumers want to see that, and it so gives it, credibility. Absolutely it, it huge. Whatever, it. however way you cut it, but it, we, it confirms his decision to. Obviously, that helps. You and your consultants, if he went through the roof after <laughs> that, no, 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 no. But that, but, does, but that's like if you're so remote and you are against the pot still, tipsy Mitchy, Scotch, Scotch at the Balmoral. Yeah. That's, I think that's. But I mean, that, yeah. there's, there's okay. two sides to it as well. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest with you, right. Uh, I did the way the, the North Coast five hundred years and years and years ago, and you know, and I, I'm not painting Scotland in the best picture here. And of course, everyone has different experiences. But for, as a Scotsman traveling in your own country, this is Graham and cynicism. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. It was the biggest rip off I've ever. It does start catching. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it was the biggest rip off I've ever seen. You know, and and the thing is, like, it, it, from you, it's kudos to to your friend who owns the bar, because at the end of the day. If you're one of the only places around the area where you can get a whiskey, mm-hmm. if you've only got three bottles on the shelf, you've got fifteen bottles on the shelf, you've got three hundred bottles on the shelf, yeah. it doesn't matter because you've got. If you want a whiskey, it, and there's an element of well, you, 
what's nice about what they did was make sure like no it doesn't matter we could we could put this there and there will still be people that come in and they'll go oh wow you've got a Glenfiddich I'll have that yeah, absolutely. there'll still be tourists that go oh you've got an Isla whiskey there Isla Froig or anything yeah. like that I'll have that but to invest but to, in a unique yeah and it pays yeah. and it, as Authentic. I say it pays off now yeah. and I think you know it, it's a big a big kudos mm. for these places when if it's a and we talked about it with the Scotch whiskey experience as well is like you know, we, we went there in Angus a few weeks ago. Yeah. And you can almost, you know, we, we used to stay away from the Scotch whisky experience because we were like, it's, a, it's where the tourists go. We don't want to go there. So it's an even bigger kudos if it's not just a place where tourists go, if it's a place where people around Scotland will still actively you, you travel. To, you, Absolutely. You need yeah. to appeal for all audiences. Don't well, you? well, I mean, there, is, so there are two bars at the George, and the, the main bar is much more representative of what we would consider kind of cold rangey normal stuff and much more representative of all of Scotland as yeah. well. Whereas the wee bar's got the West Coast focus. But I mean, the wee bar to me, and I'm, I'm absolutely biased, is it's just my own thing, but I think it's the most interesting whiskey back bar in Scotland. Yeah. And having travelled to a lot of them, I will back that up. And that's why people like Eva are attracted care. to go up there. Well, I mean... I mean, I'm not because you said that. I mean, Kev's got to be a... Right up there because there's some because he travels so much. There's so many distillery exclusives. Yeah. There's so much weird shit up there as well. We couldn't like, believe he'd only, he'd only drink whiskey for four years. I know I've had that conversation before, which is wild. No, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. think the key word is, and it, it's quite interesting about like mm. the key word is curation. Yeah. And I think yeah. one of the things that's really interesting when when you, I mean, look, by all counts, Angus and I, we we are the novices in whiskey. We always say this on the episodes. We've got Ross here who's worked for everybody in the industry. In <laughs> such a short period of time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you got a TARDIS? <laughs> yeah. You spent the whole time in this room. whiskey, he's drunk. To still look like that. I'm 24. I'm telling you, I'm 24 and 42. But we always try and get. It makes more sense. But we always try and get. We always try and get people that know what they're talking about. But what, what's interesting is, you know, like you, you, you talk a bit about whiskey. We've and, and people who I know who maybe don't know a lot about whiskey, they'll say, "Oh, you're doing a whiskey podcast," and they somebody start asking you about your own opinions on things and stuff like that. And one of the big things mm. that people often ask me is they start talking about like deals to be had or Aye. like collections and stuff like that, and making money on collections. And one of the things yeah. I always say about that is be very, very careful. Because unless you seem to find yourself holding on to or finding the one bottle that somebody else needs to finish their collection, yeah. then they'll pay a premium for it. You might say, yeah. like, oh, I bought, I bought one daft mill and I spent 350 quid on it. Now, you might say, that's a good bottle of whiskey you've bought for 350 quid. Aye, but it might be worth 500 quid in the next year. Maybe I don't know, yeah. but what? Yeah, it's only going to be worth what someone's willing to pay for it. People ask me that question all the time, yeah. and I refuse to answer it. Yeah. But I'm, but, not, I'm not getting into it. I don't, no, I don't, but, I don't, but, I don't but the thing I tell people is that actually, where you're probably more likely to make your money is if you start curating your own collection, and then the collection becomes worth the money instead of flipping. It's like the guy. Remember the guy who bought a bottle of eighteen-year-old Macallan uh, every year for uh, eighteen do, years. Do you know how many people do that now? hundred percent. That's it. But yeah, yeah. but the point is, it, the key word here, and of course, sometimes maybe you need your own reputation in 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 the, mm-hmm. in whiskey so that your collection becomes valuable. For example, if you said Simon, uh, for the next year you're going to create your own personal collection of whiskey that you pick up and find of new distilleries, basically what you did for that bar, different yeah. flavour profiles, and then at the end of the year, you're going to stick that oh, collection. Because you've, got, because you've got your awards behind you, because your curation, your curation of whiskey will be respected, 
somebody might go, there's value in, in those bottles where you've picked up maybe little bits here, little bits there. But the point is, for people that go out and say, right, I'm, I'm, I've seen, or I've just bought the, the £500 Bowmore mm. uh, Aston Martin Special Edition or whatever it is, because they say that'll be worth a bit of money one yeah. day. They're wrong. You say, no, because yeah. what you're going to have to, what, what you're going to have to hope is that the bottle that you've got is the one that somebody else is missing. Honestly, and that's when you can go, honestly, you want that bottle. If you bottle. want to make money in whiskey, there's no point... Yeah, start working uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it, exactly. Yeah, if you want to get money whiskey, you either need to be outside these distilleries for their, from them for them opening on the day that they're releasing something nah. special, or you need... I honestly don't think... I'm somebody that I've always bought to drink. So no, of course. So it's hard yeah. to me to say it, but it's yeah. one of those things that even bottles that I don't have open now that have gone up in money... That's been totally accidental. I don't think there's money to be made in buying bottles. There, no. the, the, well, there is, but it's a bit like gambling. If, if uh, like you know, every time Man City play a minnow, you yeah. can you can put a hundred grand on it, you'll skim a bit off the top every time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you can buy all the bottles in the world, yeah, you'll skim a bit every time. But these days, because there were some heady times during lockdown where yeah. things were going mental. But I mean that bubble has burst. We've all yeah. seen the uh, game of selections when they were. Well, this is it. All that stuff, you know. But, but yeah, and you might get you, you might get lucky. Mm. It's all gambling. Yeah. You might get lucky. You might go to hundred to one and actually yeah. it comes. But up, I mean, realistically, yeah, this is it when it comes to supply and demand. Basically, whatever you've got, someone's got to be willing to pay Absolutely, for it. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. that's where, like I say, for me, I see it if there was a way of doing it where. So you, if you so you're talking about like. If Simon Smith sold Simon's collection, well, I talk about it. the way the, the way I look, the, the way I look at it is yeah. there's a guy there's a guy who owns the or the guy who runs Saint Bernard's in Edinburgh, and he's a very eccentric character called Hugo. Um, You've got a school one. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry, pass, pass. He used to be a chandelier antiques collector mm. and dealer. There had to be one, I guess. Yeah, and he'll walk about in a bowler hat with. You know, he dresses up the parts, and, it, and he actually got he's got the bar in Stockbridge. Ah, I know, yeah, yeah, he's still working stocky. It's a it's a kind of speakeasy kind of place mm-hmm. as well. But what he does is his he he goes through all the charity shops, and he starts collecting LPs that he plays in his pub, and I believe he'll do that for seven years. And at the end of the seven he years, he sells his entire collection. He sells his collection for charity. And but what happens is people ha- he's built a reputation and he's got a, people trust and there's no rhyme or reason to his collection. It's not like he's going. This is only going to be a Beatles collection or a or a Rolling Stones collection. It's, it's literally diverse. it's so diverse. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's everybody knows there are absolute bangers I've in heard, there. I've heard this. I've heard and he goes this. and but the point is like he's got the reputation. He's got the credibility so that you go. That'll be that'll be expensive. Yeah records that he's managed to pick up cheap for cheap and there'll be some great records in there that will sound brilliant and I just see like and and that's I, what I, I say totally people, get it. it's a different look the, at the way that people could collect uh, the, word, the word curation is the important bit there's collection yeah. or there's curation and I love the curation part because yeah. with it's the curation part being you can, selective you can that's, be, that's yeah. exactly it you can be really selective say there's yeah. a, a, a like you said you can fill that bar you've said there with all distillery brands and core brand yeah. ranges but you've decided to go down the hard route, and by being selective of that, that means that by hand curating that, hand picking those whiskies, there's an element of trust so in there. So you, if you've been mm. to some of the best whiskey tastings in your life, let's say somebody like a Mark Thompson, mm-hmm. and Mark Thompson was to say, Graham, listen, it's not 
it's not the most expensive whiskey we've ever bought, but for £500 you can have a collection of whiskey that over the last year I've really enjoyed. Oh, that's you take it. That's almost yeah. an emotional investment. 100%. I get, yeah. I get it. And there's because two ways of looking at it. You, you know, trust them. But yeah. there's two ways of looking at it. For me, if I buy that of him, I know it's going to taste bloody good, or I know that mm. with the prestige Dude, of who he is, that's yeah. going to be a the, pro- the problem with the prestige element is a little bit that you've got to have some sort of official document about that list of that, so you don't go, actually, I want to drink that one. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah it's that true. collection as it was, but I mean, I, I mean, I'm no Mark Thompson, so I'm not going to have any any, any of the the pull of us. Well, nor am I, I going to invite. You've hosted these massive events. Well, yeah, but I'm not going to. Well, I'm not. No offense to Mark, but nowhere near as long as he has. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, but I'm not going to invest all the money to create that collection. Yeah. But I mean, if there's anyone out there who wants me to well, do we it, are, well, we are. Well, we're front of Let's do the whiskey. Why don't we just do the whiskey stories curated collection yeah. of 2024, where the what three drams, the best what three drams. We yeah. can start to pick through the year. It's that definitely we can one start. way to lose money. But and then we, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll make <laughs> the money back when we stick it up for I, auction. Yeah, I admire <laughs> you. But I, I mean, right. So, I mean, Amy if your Boston's doing yeah. okay, but I'm not sure she's going to follow yeah. us. Shout out to Amy as well. <laughs> you're listening, Amy. What, sorry, what, what I was going to say is one thing that it has mm. moved on from. You had the George. There must have been that morning when you won the award, and it's, your, it's a place you started in Scotland, and you've done that. Really important. Mm-hmm. Um, if people haven't been to the George as well in Inverary, it's also two good whisk- there's two whiskey shops on the wee high street. There is, well. yeah. It's Lock- yeah. Lock- Lock- it's Lock Fine, isn't it? Well, there's the original Lock, Lock Fine whiskeys, yeah. which um, is, um, there's, I mean, there's now a couple around the country, and then there's um, Fine Malts, which is uh, uh, a smaller shop. Just down there, just down there. Down the, down the other end of the other. It's a really old school yeah. archive. They've, they've, they've got some nice, like, old blends and stuff. A guy called Andy, who I've known for many, many years, lovely lad. So big shout out to him. Proper independent small business. Yeah. Um, always so, well supported. If, if people are interested in whiskey and they're out there, they have to stop at the George to see this list in the, what do you call it, the, the smaller bar? What do you call it, the West? That's the public bar. So it's, I mean, there's, a, there's a picture of the public bar from 1927 of yeah. that public bar and it looks exactly the same as cool. it does now. Wow. And so from that, from that, um, what you've done for them, you've done something that, I, I walked into an event that you were hosting in a brand new distillery, a beautiful port of leaf distillery in Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, walked in, I've held a selection here, I wish I didn't say it, because I said it to him, but he goes, yeah, yeah, I've done the selection. That's one of yeah. but, but, but how, I mean, I don't know how, how these kind of deals get broken and, that, and how these kind of things happen, but to a brand new distillery to mm-hmm. come to you and say, can you design a, an attractive curated collection for our future consumers? How was that? And how did, how was that different to the judge? Well, I mean, again, because the, the whole thing works with me doing things with people with, with curating sections. It's like, well, what's the reason? What are we going to do? Because the portalitis there said to me, we want to open with about 200 bottles. I think mm. it probably sneaked up to 250 then with a couple of like donations, bits and pieces. But I, I said to them, lads, 200, 250, that doesn't make a headline in Edinburgh. Yeah. That's not, you well, know, I mean, the yeah. Scotch has got 500, this place has got a million, you know, Colin's <laughs> got a million, yeah. like, yeah. so I said, but let's, let's, let's try a million, and get a million, a million, a million, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, Kev, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, well, what's your headline? Because, I mean, I, my dad was an ad man, I've done a lot of work in the last couple of years with brands, mm. which is kind of the private work I do, I guess, away from the, well, what's not public, but I do a lot of messaging and marketing stuff with some brands about yeah. getting their names out there. So I'm like, well, what's the PR angle? What, what do you, what, what do you, what's your headline? And so the idea I pitched was we do 200 whiskeys, but nothing over 10 years old. Okay. You're a young distillery. Young di- you should be championing other young, young whiskey, whiskey and, and showing how good it can be. And that, so that it doesn't, it doesn't exclude 
you know, your Glenn Fiddix or whatever, because they got NAS stuff. So, I mean, everything can still go on there. And then there was that, they ended up being a little bit of pushback, which was completely understandable, going, we're going to get rich Americans and we need a bit of stuff up there. Fair enough. But I still I still believe it probably is the, the, the biggest selection of, of young whiskey in, like, that's kicking about, because it was... 190 yeah. bottles of whiskey under 10 years yeah. old. So that was the whole thing about like, let's do young whiskey because this is what we're part of. So I, I guess that's what, that's part of what I do as well as what will make sense for you. Because realistically, I could just have a spreadsheet that goes from one copy to, piece, one to 100, yeah. 100 to 200, and, and in list of kind of importance for any bar and just go, how many do you want? Right, I'll stop the spreadsheet at roll 258, there yeah. you go. But... I don't want to do that. No one wants me to do that. It's about making it personal, about making like what's going to work best for you and what makes sense. So they've got an amazing selection of young whiskey, which celebrates the young distilleries, which is exactly the cohort they're in, and a rising tide raises all ships and all that stuff. But also it's money where your mouth is. Yeah. We're about to start releasing young whiskey in the next few years, and we've shown from day dot we fucking like it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it just it, makes sense. It's such a, if you've not been, it's, it's, a, it's a, well, really, go, it's I mean, a really impressive venue. Yeah, yeah, we are looking for sponsorship. The venue is, like, the actual bar itself is mm. like sixth floor or something, yeah, isn't it? I think it's eighth, eighth technically floor. by the time you're out there, um, there, yeah. But a really cool yeah. venue, vertical distillery. Mm. You don't have to be a crazy, crazy whiskey drinker, mm. but you can go there and get good cocktails good but, food. but it's been good built food. as well I mean it, it, yeah. it, it has been built with the visitor centre in mind it, as, as the oh, visitor absolutely. attractions oh, do attraction. like yeah, a yeah, part yeah. of the because with the regeneration project of Leaf with the trams mm. opening up and yeah. stuff like that a big part of the funding yeah. and, and, and the all that was yeah, like Britannia down there as well yeah. so you've got oh, it's, it's a landmark in all senses of the words yeah. it absolutely yeah. is but I, think, I think that's a really cool thing mm. to see you were a part of and the tasting that you were at was the first ever external tasting to be held there as well so because you do events as well. Well, that was what we were going to say. So, like, events, mm. training, and consultancies. We well, yeah. kind of covered the consultancy bit. Yeah. Events and training then. So, uh, events. So, basically, the, the the quickest way to get through that stuff, because I'm where I'm where I'm talking a lot, is basically no. the, the first thing I did with them. Um, well, one of the things I do in the, in, the, in the early days of the blog of whiskey and cynicism was as I started a, a video. What well, was a video series, which was a podcast, but I kind of hadn't really got it into podcasting. I didn't really understand it, so it was all on Zoom and it all went on YouTube. Whereas in hindsight, Glad we could turn you around. well, in hindsight, I probably should have done an audio and made a podcast out of it. But hey ho, <laughs> um, but it works. But it was basically Desert Island Drums. Nobody listens to whiskey podcasts. That was always except for you, Amy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the joke about it was because the whole thing was Desert Island Drums, and so I had, I had yeah. a, basically and it was a set format of questions. It was like. Um, you know, what do you do? All that kind of stuff. What's your favorite whiskey memory? What annoys you most about the industry? What's your, there, was, there were a couple others in there. Maybe the, maybe two were like personalized. And then the, the last one was, what, what's your three desert island drums? What would you take to a desert island? And the joke where you say no one listens, the joke was always, look, if anyone thinks these people are trying to sell a dram when they pick them, mm-hmm. No fucker listens to this. So there's no point <laughs> in a sales platform. Right. Um, but it was always an idea. It was always a thing I liked the Desert Island Drams thing. I always kind of like that thing. So basically, when we came out of lockdown, um, a couple of pals who were in bars said to me, Would you come in and do some tastings? Because when, when in the very early days when we had all the restrictions of table service, you have to be sat with your group, masks when you're standing up, you know, all that kind of yeah. shit, no music, all the weird stuff we all went through. The first thing you could do and actually not even vaguely bend a rule was a whiskey tasting uh-huh. yeah. it complied with everything and it got people through the door and as a long term hospitality professional somebody supports them I was like yeah absolutely what can we do so we, we brought out the Desert Island Drams idea which is basically I picked three an opponent picked three we spent 
two hours having an argument about whose was better and we let the crowd decide it's and it was just a bit of banter I've been to. Really? Um, so it was a lot of fun um, I did Andy Immel Mark Thompson did one um, Big Frank Murphy from the pot still and the one you came to recently was with Kyle Jameson from Nordicus, Nordicus. one of the best yeah. whiskey pubs on the planet in my humble opinion and that was kind of Leith based we did Leith Distillery we did a lot of chat about the history of Leith and you know as a, as a, pub, as a port it was, it, was, yeah. it was kind of called the Leith AF edition informally um, so that was that's kind of the bulk of what I do I do other things obviously I do bones I do curated stuff I do things that are more kind of direct I do you know product launches for brands and all sorts of weird shit but the, the secondary brand I've got is Desert Island Rams yeah. Yeah. which is kind of just the idea of what three would you take and, and the reason I really found it interesting was when we did it to start with and you guys will have found this as well there were no rules just pick three drams and mm. everyone kept coming back to like affordable available comfort drams no that, one we ever had went that for... with whiskey stories yeah. when we started our first time with whiskey stories it was all about having a story that something meant something to you yeah. it was not yeah, I'm too... starting to realise where that feature of what three drams kind of fell into my lap here's the thing I was like oh shit he's rumbled us just the guy I just ripped off yeah. my, my I just copyrighted it mate that's interesting because my desert island drams would be very different to my whiskey stories ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジャンルで、ジ
WACP level two, like the OCS. Yeah. No, exactly. It's not, it's, there's no, uh, obviously, kind of, it's not ratified in any way. But I, I guess, you know, again, my dad, my dad was an ad man, and then he went and started his own training company in, in the early '90s, and it was kind of I'm nowhere near, no more, nowhere near um, whiskey, but. It's always been something I've enjoyed over the years, and, and as a bar manager, I would host a lot of trainings, um, especially in the days before I had brand relationships and could call on you know, certainly more knowledgeable people than I. But something I, I love first and foremost, but I, I, it stems from kind of I I don't know that much about whiskey, right? Mm-hmm. Like I would go into the bar when Ross was nineteen, and he would be like, "What's the seventeen distilleries with a two in their postcode and their annual?" Their annual I'm um, not surprised. You know, the that annual so. output is can be you know, the square root of seventeen. You know, I'm like, why asked me that? I was like, "That's the game you we're playing tonight." Yeah, exactly. So, but, I mean, your your like whiskey, like deep whiskey fact knowledge would have been better than mine within twenty minutes of being in the industry because you had you know you had that kind of training. But what I what I've always kind of liked to think I'm good at is understanding how whiskey works, the industry works as well as the production, how to explain that very easily to someone for them to understand and take on. And then also, which is what happens, for example, in the pop-up bar and stuff, when people ask you questions, you want to make sure that you're not giving them any false leads or, or also kind of propagating the, the bullshit myths filtered down through the industry by people constantly re- parroting what they've been told, which yeah. is either incorrect or just negative. All blends of shit. Oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? All that kind of stuff that you hear people come out with. Well, mm. oh, that's an eight-year-old whiskey. I wouldn't drink. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a bit of that, especially on the consumer side. But on the bar side, the, the other reason that I, like, I get work as, a, as someone who does trainings for bars is because A, I'll walk in and even, it's not like selection, selection I've curated, I'll look at their selection and go, right, let's talk about what you've got and make sure you can yeah. sell that. And I did a lot of this in Australia and stuff as well across all categories. But also, also it's the understanding of... I don't need to give you a brand story. I don't need to tell you why this is. I don't need to tell you. All I need to do is tell you how to sell it. Yeah. yeah. The customer asks. We used to call it, I mean, I did these, did a big um, tour with it in Australia. Is selling in a sentence. Okay. I'll just go through your back bar, just tell you how to sell it in a sentence. From Hendrix Gin to whatever, but obviously in whiskey, particular stuff, it's like, and then the next step of that is give you the tools to then figure that out for yourself if new stuff comes in. Yeah. So what is... What does a region mean and is it relevant? What does an A statement mean and is it relevant? But what does cast strength, single cast, you know, what does an ABV mean? How do you tell if it's pizza or not? All that kind of stuff. So you can have all these little bits and pieces, sherry cask, whatever. And if you've got all those building blocks, you should basically be able to look at any bottle and go, I can give you a vague idea what this is going to taste like. Well, I mean, yeah, because I mean, I suppose it. it it's been giving people confidence. Well, one, of the, one of the things yeah. I've talked about through, I mean, we're verging into sort of different territory, but on the learning development side of things, it's mm. like passing on information and knowledge isn't the same as actually having an impact on people when you pass that information on. So, so you yeah. know, somebody could go, I, I, I've been taught everything about, I don't know, McAllen, right? And they can go, this is McAllen. McAllen did this, McAllen did that, McAllen did the next thing, blah, 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 blah. And somebody on the other side of the bar could be going, someone's actually asleep already. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Whereas if you then go, right, well, I'll tell you what, like we've seen with, like, if you like the McAllen and you've had the McAllen, have you had Tam Do? Yeah. Right? Because Tam Do, and it's like this shit, it's a similar, similar script that you're being able to say. And suddenly it makes people a little bit more engaged in that. And the next thing is understanding why. So yeah. understanding when you read sherry cask on a label, that's the kind of stuff you're what getting pushed towards flavor-wise. And yeah. again, it always comes back to flavor and all the rest yeah. of it. But it's also, I mean, like I, I do go through production with people and all the rest of it, but it's it always comes back to, you know, you, you can talk you can talk all day about yeast strange barley varieties, 
still times, worm tubs, all this bullshit that we all kind of get into. But yeah. if you can't explain to me why that affects my whiskey, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's massive. It really doesn't. And like, it's the thing that people for some reason do try and pick you up on. If you're working, you're rolling the industry, and somebody comes in and goes, you know, I was speaking to somebody else earlier today. They talk about a time when they were a tour guide at the Scotch Whiskey Experience. Somebody, you know, somebody part of a tour group was so, so tell me about the, the role that the yeast plays in a. Mm. In production, and it happened to the guy that was doing it was learning that and doing the selling with him. But he said, Okay, not many people, I wouldn't have been able to, I really would not have been able to talk about different yeast strains. I wouldn't. Also, because everybody that's told me says it's made very little difference, but people will try and pick stuff yeah. up. But the- I learned so much. I've done a tasting for two guys from north of, I think they're from, they're technically from north of Aberdeen. I've been doing tastings for a while. I maybe mentioned this, and it was about halfway into the tasting. It basically comes out that both the two gentlemen I was sitting with were barley farmers. Ah, uh-huh, good guys. So I just interrogated them for a second after the tasting. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, yeah. I guess this, this, this. Tell and me this. everything. Can you just dumb it down, blah, blah, blah? Like, these are guys that are excited to get asked those questions. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Everybody can take. Again, we've said it many times. As soon as somebody tells you they're an expert, you know they're a fucking idiot. Uh, <laughs> and, and it really is yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's all it's all relative. Because yeah, yeah. as much as a lot of people might think, okay, a lot a lot of people think that uh, I've got a good knowledge in Scotch whiskey because of people I've worked with, and I do. I would say that I have a strong knowledge for the experience that I've had. I, I still. There's still way more that I don't know. Well, the day you think you know everything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, so, so you, much yeah. more oh, that, 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 that I don't I've, know. I've thought I know everything about three times in my career. And then something else comes along and you go, oh, Jesus Christ, now I'm miles up. You know what I mean? You're 21 yeah. and you, you, you figure out what rum is and you go, all right, that's me done, lads. <laughs> but yeah. Do you enjoy doing the taste uh, training? It's the favourite bit of my job. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I say I've done a lot of it across... Um, two sides of the world and, and, and uh, not just in whiskey but in various things in cocktails and, and lots of it and it's just the the thing I love most about it because because I've got no ego and I don't really care if you listen to me I'm trying to help you and if you don't want to yeah, okay yeah. so mm. and I'll sit there and I'll swear at you and I mean I, I did do one tasting where I'd been to bed for about three hours and I was like I'm fucking hungover no one speak for the first half an hour right <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean like, I, I, I'm very you honest these things yeah, yeah I'm very honest I'm like, I, I don't need to stand on errors and graces because I don't work for a brand yeah. I work for myself so I don't have to be in a tweed suit or in a whatever the, you know, I don't have to be conform to any brand aesthetic yeah. but the, what I love is that especially when you do tastings in venues you're completely unaware of it's a training story you walk in and we used to call it snipers and allies there's three people who yeah. you can just see go I kind of like learning and I'm going to be here to do this because I was yeah. always top of my class I don't really care what this is I'm here and there's four guys at the back you know, smoking behind the bike sheds metaphorically. Yeah. And my favourite thing is by the end of it when they're leaning forward. Yeah. Yeah. When those yeah. guys are like, I'm in now. Yeah. Is there an appetite? Sorry, Angus. No, 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 go ahead. Uh, is there an appetite from whether it's on trade, off trade? But generally, I, I think there's much more young people getting into whiskey now as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually feel old with some of the conversations I've had recently with people. Oh, they've had three jobs in whiskey and I'm like, oh my God. But yeah. <laughs> is there an appetite from people when you come in? I certainly when I sat there with Cam I wanted to listen to everything he said I had an enthusiasm yeah. for it and that didn't take much to get that enthusiasm out it took one day of somebody showing a bit of interest in you for you to get really into whiskey it must be the yeah. same for you when you Way were back West Coast. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. is there an attitude where you're just coming in and people are like 
Uh, this is Simon Smith. He's here for a training, or are you getting a quite a good audience now? I, I mean, it's always mixed, and you know, uh, there, there is a lot of apathy, and at times, and the industry is kind of a lot of feedback from old heads is that there's kind of you know some apathy around people, and but then again, you know, my generation and and guys older than me. We wore 80 hours a week like a fucking badge of honor, which was stupid as well. We did find some middle ground. You know, there needs to be a little bit of like give and take in the industry. But there are people, people are curious, right? People, human nature is curiosity. People are always that. If you're good enough, you can capture that yeah. about anything. And that's the way you speak to people. And, you know, I would deliver a training differently to not that I ever have to give a training about moral, but, you know, like to, to that group, to yeah. like a pub in Paisley or to a, you know, to, audience, yeah. you know, to a fine dining restaurant where you talk like, I mean, I've done trainings for sommeliers. Yeah. You pitch that so differently because yeah, they've got a different, like, you know, so if you, if you, you just spoke about it in this first mm. taste, so if I guess it's mm. one, three or four times, Okay. We've talked about it as well, like even talking about, you know, someone that's delivering a tasting at a distillery. If they're engaging, then oh, you're so going yeah. to be engaged, so and it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Every week, it doesn't matter. If they enjoy it, yeah. you will enjoy it. But Absolutely, people, yeah. people will. You know, so it's good to hear you like you enjoy your training. Yeah. So people should get well, in contact. Exactly. Some there to have fun, right? I mean, I mean, I, I was a failed rock star, so I became a bartender, right? Center of attention. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. why I do tasting. That's why I do training. So I'm there to 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 make you laugh, to make yeah. you have fun, and I want that. And I'm also doing something that I'm very passionate about. Mm. I'm not here by accident. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's something I absolutely but, adore. Like, uh, no, I, 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 well, sorry, I was going to say as much as you are passionate about it, and you know, Graham's background is in training. He asked you question about training my background is more than being a bit of a cynic yeah. <laughs> and you are whiskey and cynicism so I, I, I'm really curious as to what is, is, is there something or what what most do you fight are, are you cynical about in the whiskey industry today what, 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 what's the one thing you just go that's well, well, don't, well, don't well, name any brands because we are no, looking no, for no, sponsors no no no, no, no. You have one, I guess. <laughs> no 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 I don't I, well, I'm too, interested yeah. to hear what um, I, I think Cyrus that's to say. really interesting because you say don't, don't mention any brands no, I'm just but, but, but one, of my, one of the things that I it's almost reverse cynicism because what what's the biggest problem in the industry is is passed down mislead cynicism and I yeah. go back to like blends of shit only the Scots can make whiskey it needs to have an age statement you know I only like something from a certain region and all this kind of stuff so kind of my cynicism is almost almost cutting against that so yeah. when people say well I heard you should only drink whiskey <clears throat> if it's 12 years old yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I you, you, and, and uh, but also there's that kind of thing of like that's an opportunity for you though, opportunity, exactly and whether it be consumer or or, cust- or, or, or like a, 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 the on trade especially in the on trade well you're just stopping yourself selling part of your product for a yeah. start and there's the cynicism coming in because it's about actually selling the shit for a start but it, the thing is about whiskey and this is I guess why I'm cynical about any strong opinions on it I, ironically I guess is there is as far as Scotch whiskey is concerned, it has to jump through so many hoops to be called Scotch whiskey. There is very little to no bad whiskey on the market, mm. and I will stand by that. Mm. Also, what you call good and bad is completely subjective. Uh, so if true. you stand there I was on your fucking <laughs> soapbox and go, "This whiskey is shit," or "This whiskey is the only thing you should be drinking," you are wrong yeah. because you are doing that subjectively. You have no metrics on that. Mm. The only metrics in the world you can you can measure whiskey by really, as in pure numbers, is age. Not whether age is better or not, but if it's got an age, yeah. volume, consistency, and price point. Mm. 
consistency is a metric. It's a little bit blurred, I know. People but, quite like but, inconsistency. But, but, yeah, but do you, like a, yeah. does your product taste the same in yeah. Beijing as yeah. it does in Sao Paulo? It's the um, reason but, we always go for a manic more. Well, like, exactly. But in that, in that, in that, on those metrics, and they're the only objective way you can look at whiskey, yeah. Johnny Walker 12 is the best, best whiskey in the world. 100%. And there is no real argument against it objectively. Harsh Subjectively, you can just say, I don't like it. Harsh yeah, red fine. label, but yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm with you. But Johnny Walker's got the age, but still the value. So, you know, as you as you kind of hit that middle bit, but if you want to tell me that that's shit, it's like it's like music. Yeah. How can you tell me that the sounds I enjoy going into my ear are wrong? Yeah. It's fucking nonsense. And I need to phrase this very carefully, but if you're trying to tell me that the things that are going into my mouth that I enjoy that I shouldn't in the form of what whiskey I like the taste of, and yeah, listeners are all having a giggle at that, but I think I got away with it, but it's fucking bullshit. I mean, in this industry yeah, yeah, where yeah. there's, a, there's a so million awesome. products on the, on the, on the market, so that's kind of my cynical thing is, is yeah. strong opinions that are passed down through various misinformation for tastings and I think a lot of people in the industry maybe don't understand how much power they have when they're doing a training or a tasting or a debate yeah. Yeah. one line can just be that's, picked up yeah, and I heard this somewhere yeah. so my, the thing I do is I'm, I just try not to be negative there's no bad whiskey there are consensuses there are things like a dram comes out and those in the industry go that's good and we yeah. all kind of like it but it's probably only 300 bottles of the shit in the world and it doesn't really make any difference Classic to the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's, it's one of those things, and that's kind of what I'm most cynical about is the opinions that get passed down. Because I saw it in bartending, I saw it in poor bar manager after poor bar manager yeah. pants. I mean, Angus Europe Bitters is poisonous. That was one of my favorites. You know, there's so <laughs> much poison. <laughs> Unbe- yeah. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. But there's so many of those things get passed mm. down, even whether it's technique yeah. and stuff. And you kind of go, the longer this happens, the longer no one... Mm. As I just did rants about it until well, I mean, if that doesn't get around in yeah. the pause, I'm going through there in a second to tell them about it as well. There are these lines that get passed down because I remember. I've just said Manic Moore's a hideous to Well, I mean, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. But I like, I'll often say stuff like that just to, you know, put it out there. But the best thing about whiskey is it is so personal. Exactly, and that and like any fandom, it gets into that kind of thing of like, what's my favorite? And I'll argue to the hilt what it is. But the more you do that, the more you're arguing against something else in the category you yeah. purport to love. So yeah. it's really difficult to balance that. I mean, and, uh, and what I mean is, if I'm sitting here with you guys when the mics go off, and we want to have put four drums on the table and have a rammy about what's better or not, that's fine. Yeah. But it's when you well, it's fun. when you've got a voice of authority, or yeah. Yeah. or even you're trying to pretend you've got a voice of authority. So if you're you're a consumer sitting in a bar and you kind of think you know half what you're doing, and this happened in the pop up all the time. Someone picks up a bottle and is looking at it, and someone just wants to go, that won't be good. It's only eight years old. Yeah. They kind of like what the fuck are you by the way? Like yeah. it's that kind of stuff. But yeah. and that's fine. That's in a small environment. But there are people who are high up in the industry who will still. Yeah. Say things like you shouldn't put ice in whiskey or you can't yeah. mix single malt or any of this stuff that filters through what is now a very thank you, what is now a very, <laughs> very um, but the thing yeah. is, like that stuff doesn't happen in a room now, no, it happens on social media, it happens and uh, it goes no, to the masses. and it goes both like, ways. What is the, the, the trendiest thing to do in whiskey right now? If you think you like malt whiskey, is saying that McCallum's rubbish, uh, yeah, fact, okay, it's no. just it's just a thing. And is that what you're cynical about? Well, Angus, what's your cynicism? I, 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 no, but it's I, I, I honestly think I, I love, I love. Let's have a look at But I, I, I find it hilarious. People think it's really yeah. cool. And like, oh, I don't like somebody like McCallum. I like that. McCallum's not what it used to be. Yeah, I like You're the way it is. Oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the way it is. It's all this stuff. I, I, like I, I think it's stuff. interesting, especially people who have made it in the industry. And you don't need to prove anything to me. We yeah. could have, we're having a normal chat in a pub. Yeah. But they'll say, oh, well, you're in a whiskey bar like this. I would order a McCallum. I understand 
you feel it's not for us. Yeah. Yeah. But it's quite a, a hipster cool thing to yeah, not yeah, like the popular. It's rainy against the big boys. It's yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, which so that's is, what is I, that's what I'm cynical about. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I would agree with you. What are you cynical about? Oh. If it's not come from a peelable fruit, you don't like it. A citrus based peelable fruit. Lemonade that's not bars. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're putting me on the spot. Uh. Have, you, have you ever been to but, any. Have you ever been to any tastings as somebody who's who self proclaimed an enthusiast, you, you know, and, and somebody said something and you've been like, I don't really understand that. But I don't understand going to any tastings. Where somebody starts talking about their product by slagging off another product, ah. but it's very common. It's 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 one of the it's it's that kind of sliding scale fallacy. It's like, well, I mean, I'm not saying I'm good. I'm just saying I'm better than. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you start off really badly there. Like, and the thing is, when I went, sorry, I've just hijacked your. No, 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 no. I When I went back to Australia in 2014, 15, and there was so many new stories coming through. And they were all kind of supporting and backing each other. And that, that phrase, a rising tide raises all ship, was what I heard constantly. Yeah. And it was something that I wasn't really familiar with in the Scotch whiskey industry because it was so established and there was so much of that kind of like, well, we're better or they're better or, or you know, this, but then I came back and now we've got Arden and Merck and Locklear, Port of Leith coming on board, you know, Holyrood, Kings Barnes, Lindors, all this kind of stuff. And now I guess kind of kill home and is maybe because of the start of that new wave. Yeah. But they are now kind of applying that theory. You know, I see guys from all those brands sharing stuff from other brands and there's this kind of new wave Way of more stuff. Where, yeah, absolutely. And it's more cyclical and it's like the more we kind of, especially for the new distilleries, especially for that kind of stuff, we break down yeah. these the stigma around non-age statement or whatever it might be, the better. Mm. But also that feeds into the whole whiskey industry because the whole whiskey industry has gone through huge things with supply issues. Yeah. So, you know, that that's why you've got you know, Glenfiddich firing canes or McCallum was not on NAS for a while. The more we break that down, the more the freedom is to just go, actually, we can work with our supplier a lot better. We can just, we can just release shit when it's ready. Yeah. Yeah. Like all that. And, and that's, that's that kind of thing that we see more of in the Scotch whiskey industry now, which is great because we, we all need that because that's how these brands get known. Flavour should be the perspective rather than... Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the, the drum I'm banging, but I also think that, you see, the, the, the slagging of others is, is doesn't help anyone. No. You know. Um, one right. last thing before the whiskey stories, and I'm sure we move to whiskey stories. Three, what, you, what, three drums? You have had um, a pop-up bar that you've done in December. Yes. Um, well, we spoke a wee bit about we got the Lost Close. Yeah. And it's a kind of... Well, you could describe it better than me, but the, people could do tours for it. It's an old... It's, it basically it's a very historic space that part of it was once an actual close that was you know like a lot of the closes off the Royal Mile so for context for any listeners in Edinburgh just behind, just behind St Giles um, uh, Cathedral just off uh, uh, Parliament Square so on the right after St Giles if you're heading down the mile um, so basically it was a close at one point it kind of got covered in during the fire of Edinburgh and then got kind of dug out again and then the it was below a prison so that little bit became a furnace it was a holding cell down there um, in the kind of the 50s I guess and then it's only been re- kind of excavated again in the last few years um, and it now acts as a space where um, a very very dedicated team of people do whiskey gin and beer tours um, by tours I really mean they take you through a really cool space and then do a tasting yeah. um, but they do stuff like women and whiskey where they, where they do a lot of stuff from distilleries that had historical women running them over the last couple hundred years so so it's not it isn't a tourist space it's obviously very accessible they have like low medium and high end stuff as well mm-hmm. but it's not your average 
It's not run. It's, they're not phoning it in. These guys really care. Um, but they were very kind to let me pop up on Friday nights and Monday nights in December with my own collection or some of it of whiskey and some cans of beer and, and, and a few highballs um, and some old vintage stuff and whatnot just to have a little whiskey bar and fun space. 90s, people... 1980s Malibu was my favourite thing on the back bar. Yeah, I accidentally opened a Malibu bar, which I wasn't expecting because that was <laughs> definitely the bestseller. But, uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Oh. So, um, <laughs> so, yeah. Call like, me a shitty tart. Yeah. <laughs> I am just a tart. I am just a tart. Put an umbrella in it. Is uh, anyone exactly, there? Yeah. Honestly, well, this, 1980s Malibu is life changing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you'll be on it. But yeah, so you've done a kind of pop up bar through whiskey and cynicism. Yeah, basically uh, just a way to share. And, and, and how, how did that go in December? It was very successful. It was a lot of fun. It was a mixture of people like yourself coming down and people who I know are whiskey heads coming down and just saying, pick me a dram because I know you've only got interesting stuff. Again, there's not much core range or anything there. But because it's a tourist um, tourist area, it's also attached to the hostel that's now above it, Code yes. Hostel. So they would send folk down. So it was a lot of that, again, that kind of introduced people to whiskey. Cool. A lot of people coming off their tours, having done a tour and thought, I actually quite like this stuff. Yeah. Hanging around in the bar, having another one. So it was that really nice balance of serving nerds and people who were just there to have a good time, have a couple of cans of beer, halves and halves, mainly to drink old blends and just have fun. So, so, so yeah, for listeners, this pop-up bar, as, as you described it, it really is the old furnace style. and It's, it's an amazing, amazing venue mm. that I didn't realise was there. But the back bar was six or eight. I think it was 12 in the end. 12, quite a lot, yeah. 12 blended whiskies from 70s, 80s, 90s. Oh, wow. yeah. And four quid a dram for any one of them. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, might be going up via you know, twit of inflation, yeah. uh, but yeah. but for me, nineteen eighty two prices. For me coming in and just being an enthusiast, oh my god. Yeah. Well, I've got four Fridays and four Mondays. I'm gonna have to try every single one of these old plenty of whiskeys. And and Simon would come and take, and I'd be like, okay, Simon, sorry to bother you because you're busy, but you know what's the story of this? And I tried whiskeys, old plenty of whiskeys, and I'd never even heard of, never seen the bottle, and absolutely adored. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're gonna be doing. It turns out, due to the success in December, you're yeah. going to be prolonging the year. Yeah, so, so the, the idea behind, behind Fridays and Mondays, because I know it's a bit weird, is Fridays for people in a normal kind of working week, Mondays for my, my friends in the trade, who are often are closed on Mondays or whatever. So that's why there's a slightly weird operating hours. Um, but So I will be doing those two days, but the last weekend of every month for the first little while in this year, while oh, right. we have quiet a month, mid, mid-month, January and February, you know, famously not the best time to be standing behind a bar. Um, but if I, if I feel like I dense it and people can come in and, and try stuff. Then... So the last Monday and the last Friday, of every month yeah so the last full weekend of the month so this 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 okay. so this month it'll be um burns the burns weekend so as you're hearing this yep. on the thursday it'll be open the friday so it'll be open tomorrow and the Thanks. monday coming and then that will continue on uh, wednesday but there it has its own instagram and all the rest of it so it's uh the underscore desert underscore isle so going back to that whole concept the yeah, idea was right. that this is my whole desert island with all the stuff that i would love cool. to take if i if i didn't have three drums but had you know half a shipping container <laughs> so um so that'll be that'll be back open doing stuff and it's just a really convivial place to come and drink whiskey on any level and have a chat and as I say it's it's not a speakeasy but it's a very kind of easy place to come and just do what you need yeah. to whether it's drink vintage Malibu and have a can of cold fizzy and taste this <laughs> lager whether you want to drink small daft miller or any, any of the above it's just a nice, nice spot yeah, to be that's the important thing no matter what the level if you're new to whiskey if you're experienced into it you'll be welcome mm, yeah. Simon will welcome you yeah yeah, um, yeah. nice one right what three drams? Well, that kind of leads us into the first one quite nicely. So, um, so my first 
uh, story is basically during um, during lockdown, which was. Um, you know, a challenging time for all of us. Of One of the things that got me through it was that myself and three very good friends would exchange um, wee samples of whiskey um, normally about once a week and we would uh, kind of meet in a park or whatever was socially distanced appropriate at the time. I mean, this is the depths. This is when there's nothing open. Yeah. You're just in your flat for forever. One hour's exercise a day. All that kind of stuff. So my exercise was going, I just swapping drums with Pork. But um, <laughs> so basically we did this kind of thing where, and then we would just get on a Zoom and go and drink the whiskeys all blind, which is really important to me and anything. So no preconceptions, all blind, talk about them, get half pissed on Zoom on a Tuesday night and have a bit of fun. And over the, over the kind of 18 months to two full years of in and out of lockdowns, um, we think we exchanged around about 400 samples in that time. So, it, but it was, it was also like, I know, it's all got a bit obsessive and weird, but also Sorry, that, like, that's a plus. That's a plus. <laughs> um, but so, but also that became obviously a, like you know, something of a coping mechanism. It was a way for us to get together that, because you know, as we all kind of discovered, just, just jumping Tough on a time. Zoom call without any real motive was a bit strange and uh, unusual to us. But what we discovered going on to auctions and all that kind of stuff was we found vintage spirits in general. So we found that a lot of old vintage liqueurs at like the Malibu you're talking about, a lot of all, all that stuff was absolutely banging when you go back to these big brands like Drambuie or Cherry Hearing or Grand Mania. When you go back in the decades, they were amazing. But we found the same thing with all blends. The, you know, these, a lot of these spirits would be before kind of volumes went up, efficiencies came in, so they had higher concentrations of malt in them, higher concentrations of old malt, just better casting them because they weren't going to a single malt market because it didn't exist in the same way. And the one that, that we discovered that was absolutely the pinnacle for, for certainly my palate anyway amongst some, some very interesting old stuff was 1980s Ballantines oh, 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 oh what the belt oh. so 80s Ballantines it was still 43% in the day it had sorry uh, 1980s 1980s I'll tell you exactly why that was one of the best uh, <laughs> because you, you made, made Graham's so, so Simon doesn't know that you made Graham's day oh, oh yeah. he's, he's his family's grandfather one of my grandfather's Grew the malt and mother grandfather malted the malt. Oh, that'll be it then. That'll be why. Oh, let me tell you. 1980s Valentine's. Oh. So you think about the whiskeys that were in that at that point as well. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Well, I believe, I believe the smoke component was Arbeg. Yep. But also, it was uh, Glenbergie has always been a huge mm-hmm. component of which I've then since I've gone is one of my favourite distilleries, and you can spot its DNA in these old Ballantines as well. Yeah. So Glenbergie's not making it in as a single malt to this list, but it was, it was obviously a, a huge component in it. What about Glenbergie, the most, the most too, wholesome so corner of the internet? Um, so that that's definitely number one, and it's just because Great it was drama. it was something that, that, that a lot of us, well, a bunch of us, discovered. <laughs> At a time when we were discovering a lot of stuff, like uh, like in a, in a kind of whiskey enthusiast sense, but also because it was fucking tough. Badger oh. <laughs> <laughs> half of your parlay, Graham. Wow. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's a great first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. 1980s Valentine's. <laughs> old, old school blend. Aye. Um, I like that. There has to be an old school blend on there. I mean, I, I think I, I think most people take a blend on these things when they, they, there's normally a blend somewhere in there. And to me, I would always do one because that kind of was a joint journey of discovery between yeah. four very good friends. It was just a nice thing. Right. So, it's not a market nice I want to dilute well, because it's the kind of thing that I like. There's to buy. no 80s Valentine's left on the market, trust but, me. But, <laughs> but if you want to buy old, if you right. want to buy old blends. You can still get them for decent prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff around. Old school plans. And also, yeah. I, mean, I would also say take a punt. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff on there you've never heard of, but probably turned out to be delicious. Yeah. Because yeah. um, the same, which is more good whiskey kicking about knock on into single malts. So. Okay. That's a good cool. That's a cool. great start. Number two. Number two um, has got to be, and, and I think we've obviously spoken about it 
most of the podcast. So uh, last year I was very fortunate to have the pleasure of being involved in my very first uh, single cast bottling, which was for the George Hotel. So we bottled a single cask in um, conjunction with Glen Scotia, which was uh, a 10 year old first fill bourbon and an absolute belter. So it was uh, lots of tropical fruit, that kind of nice salinity you get from Glen Scotia. It was just like, nice. we, we picked it, we liked it, we got the bottlings in, we tried it, we tried it neat, we tried it having, you know, in a serious way. We had it just next to us while throwing a game, like throwing a game of darts casually, and it just yeah. always hit the spot. Drinks really well for, I think it's 57.2, mm-hmm. really delicious. And it was just one of those things that, to be involved with that with some friends was really, and, and with a place I really care about. We got to write our own tasting notes, which are complete nonsense on the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> somehow got past brand that's something I'm cynical about <laughs> well so are we so th- this is honestly it talks about local tangerines and shit I don't know if you've ever been to Campbelltown but <laughs> that's good there's no many kicking about right? so, so that was one that you know I, I always thought that I always um, always ad- just I'll always yeah. adore because I mean hopefully I'll do more of those projects in the future but the first one's yeah. always going to be and, and you had a big thing with it you know for a long time you were the only other person I knew in Edinburgh when I first started in the industry here who also loved Glen Scotia. I used to get a lot of stick for like Glen Scotia. Yeah, and, and I, don't, so, I don't know if that's because it was just up against Springbank and Springbank's so, yeah, yeah. so loved by so many people. But, but I remember I tried that dram when it was released and you'd post it on social media. I went to, I think, NCNU or something, the first pub. I tried it and I thought, Joe, that's really nice. Yeah. I then tried it at your event in the Port Leaf Blind at my favourite dram of the night. Mm-hmm. No, and I think that just highlights yeah, yeah. when you're really trying something that's a unique product. I tried it totally blind. I couldn't believe it was the same dram I had before. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And, I, and it, that was quite a unique bottle. So if you, uh, if there's any bar, um, still on bars, certainly sell me some at the George. Uh, on to, by the dram. Yeah, yeah, we have sold out of all the yeah. bottles, but there's some so, by the dram up there. Like, but to try the single the, cast show yeah. one time, one time only, a couple yeah. hundred bottles. And I um, think I think you're absolutely right with Glen Scotia because I, I quite like Glen Scotia I, as well, but. You know, this is the thing you rally against regions. It's like, well, you know, the company you keep almost. Is, yeah. Well, you know, he's that's, just described. That's why you shouldn't be judged against. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Well, he's you know. described mm. a super tropical fruity dram. It's not mm. what people associate with. Jam Jam yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so we're number three. So this was this this was, this was difficult. I said I, I asked this question to so many people for for a long for thirty episodes that, um, well they're also on YouTube if your listeners have fuck all else to do. But <laughs> the, the, the pleasure of that was the fact that I didn't have to answer the question. So I struggled with this. I served Glendronach at my wedding. It's always been a favourite. Yeah. I kind of moved away from Sherry Cast. So you I mean, used to be a Sherry. I tar. used to be a bit of a Sherry mm-hmm. Tar. I love Glenbergie these days as well. Yeah. But again, so it comes down to I think there's a. Um, what about Glenbergie? I think there's a there's a thing about like Scotch whiskey, and I think Port Leith Distillery is great for it because of its sense of place. You sit on that top floor and you know you're in Leith. Yeah. But what we love about Highland Distilleries and West Coast Distilleries is that same sense of place. And I went to Ardnamurchan to fill a cask um, uh, with some friends just over a year ago now, so I'll be a year old. And Ardnamurchan, when you're out there on the West Coast, it's so remote. It's a beautiful distillery, but you, the sense of place is unbelievable. You know you are yeah. deep in the heart of the west coast of Scotland, so it's got to be an Ardnamurchan. Um, and our cask isn't whiskey yet, so that probably would, would fly into that in the future for sure. But there was, um, we tried when we were there, out of the cask, at cask strength, one of the casks that would become part of their Paul Landwell releases, which I've always liked. 
um, and it's um, aged in casks that previously held the noble wines that would go on to become a champagne with the Paul Lanois house. Obviously, it doesn't, it's not champagne in the cask, it's yeah. really fizzy. Yeah. So if I can take the actual single cask I tried it out of, I'll have yep. that. But if not, That's any like of the Paul Lanois editions from Ardemarkin would definitely be my favorite one. Super. Yeah, there, there was somebody who got in trouble for putting on champagne cask. Uh, Boona Haven. Boona Haven, that's yeah. right. Because, of course, it isn't champagne. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why when Glenfiddich they count the Con Crew, because okay. they were they um, yeah. they couldn't call it champagne. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But look at that, ladies and gentlemen, Simon Smith, clap it in. That's been fantastic. Yeah, like two hours. And of course, just to remind everybody that this evening's Whiskey Stories podcast was recorded in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. But we'll in leave the you on, pub in Edinburgh. In the business pub, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> But we'll leave you this and let us toast John Barleycorn, each man a glass in hand. And may his great posterity near fail in old Scotland. Have a good one. Happy Burns Night and all the best to the bard and hope you're enjoying yourselves. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers. Very good, gentlemen.